0: Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee, and we have Cannondale and trainer roads, Amber Pierce with us today,
1: hey, everyone.
0: And we have a special guest with us, uh, which is pretty exciting and possibly another special guest to join a little bit later here. Um, but Shaquay belly or Bailey. How you doing Shaquea?
2: I'm doing well. Hey everyone.
0: So you are a trainer road subscriber. Uh, obviously, you listen to the podcast too. Um, you're on the podcast right now, uh, but then as well, you're also with an organization called the Black Foxes, uh, which we wanted to bring you on for that purpose. And uh, we thought it'd be really fun to have you along to answer some of the questions as well that people have been submitting to us uh, at trainerroad.com/podcast. So thanks for joining us. It's going to be fun. Yeah, thanks for having me yeah hopefully we can have uh, Marty join us as well. So Marty Merritt, he's the the he's another member of the black Foxes. and it's a really cool organization that everybody should check out. We'll get more into that in just a little bit. Uh, but once again, this is where we answer the questions that you submit at trainroad.com slash podcast. But if you're joining us live on YouTube right now, which is usually Thursdays at 8 AM Pacific. Yes. Hello. Just like Amber waved. And then also (laughs) you can join in on the live chat and throw in any questions that you have now, because we're probably going to have more time than normal to answer some live questions, which will be fun. So go ahead and toss them in and your, even your most vexing questions. And we'll try to answer them uh, at the end of this podcast. Once we get through some of the stuff we have prepared for all of you today. Uh, first things first, I wanted to share something about the successful athletes podcast. So this week's episode that was just released on that, uh, it was an awesome episode with JJ Joe. So, or JJ, Zhu. he's from Beijing. Uh, he's an incredible athlete, insanely, uh, dedicated and strong athlete. I don't know if, uh, if you listen to this episode, you can also like look at his trainer road, uh, career and holy cow, he's diligent. He does a ton of work. And anyways, he, he ever stood at low elevation Then he ever stood actually on Everest, so the road up to base camp and it was at 16,000 feet. So it's really cool to talk about like how a person even does that, but then also like the different things about how you prepare for that versus how you prepare for low elevation. So super insightful conversation. And once again, that's the successful athletes podcast. So we'll have a link down in the description below for you. If you're listening to this on the podcast. Or if you are listening to this and watching it on YouTube, you'll also be able to find it there, but a link to the successful athletes podcast, you can subscribe to that one, totally recommend it and stories of successful athletes that are doing great things. The trainer wrote all the time and the episode coming out next week is with Zach Josie. So he is a triathlete with dwarfism. So we talk to him about all the different things that he is. So first of all, why he picked triathlon the different obstacles that he overcame with all three disciplines and then how he executes on race day, what his plans are, everything else. It's super cool. And there are a lot of modifications that he's done with either training technique or equipment that I feel like all of us can actually learn from too. You know, he's forced to take a more, uh, he has to look at that stuff and really make changes and make adjustments. And I think a lot of us probably just think, eh, I just run that way or I just swim that way. And I'm like me, like I swim, like a rock. Right. Uh, <laughs> but he took a really like, I need to be better. So I need to do these things approach and it's really cool. So tune into that one that will be published next Monday. There are always uh, new episodes every Monday on that, on uh, that podcast. So super exciting stuff. And if you want to, uh, beyond the successful athletes podcast, if you use trainer road to accomplish something, uh, s- that's impactful to you and something that you feel is some sort of success, because there are plenty of measures of success, whatever those may be, just send me an email at Jonathan at dot com and let me know what that story is. So thank you for everybody that's done that so far, by the way, it's really hard to keep up with all of these. So <laughs> hopefully you want to,
1: do you want to remind them how you spell your name? Yeah, because not everybody spells Jonathan the same
0: good point. You might get a kickback, huh? So J O N a T H a N and it's at trainerroad.com. So, uh, it's uh, hopefully we'll have a better system to keep track of all of these that are coming in, uh, in the future for now. Um, I feel like I'm just a little hamster running on a wheel, not, you know, just spinning <laughs> crazily. So, but thank you for submitting them and please keep doing it. Uh, okay. So first things and, 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 and Bailey, uh, we should probably kick things off how did you get started in cycling? Where were you, where are you from and how'd you get started in cycling?
2: So I'm actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and I, um, pretty much got started from commuting. Um, that was like really the the biggest catalyst uh, is getting from A to B. And, um, like once I moved back to Pittsburgh, uh, like, from living in Atlanta for a little bit I was just like you know I gotta have a better way to get around because I just can't take the bus it's not as convenient it's not as quick and so I was like well I'm just gonna ride my bike and use it as a means to get around in college and whatnot so I, I got a bike from performance uh and they had like a layaway so I was like oh this is awesome because I was still trying to like save my coins and uh be responsible and I ended up getting the bike out early and then that's kind of how I think I got it in like May 2011 or something like that um and so once I started commuting I just nonstop, and it was just like a road bike I think it was like a Fuji or something um aluminum and I love that bike I like rode it everywhere it was like
0: amazing Hello hey, Marty. there's Marty. We got Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, go ahead and Look take you your t- go ahead and take your time and get sorted. We are live and we'll and oh, he dropped. Oh. I'm sure he'll be back soon. Um, <laughs> so Bailey, it's funny that you mentioned like the Fuji. That was my first my first bike was a Fuji too. Um I loved that thing. It was all white and then it had like a carbon fork on it. And I remember like I remember thinking like when I first started, I was like you know what? My my bike might may not be carbon, but my fork is, and that's pretty darn sweet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's funny because years later, I ended up buying an aluminum bike because I thought it was so awesome. Um, I like them a lot. So so tons of tons of fun. So it was like commuting, and that was like the motive. But you got a road bike, right? Like the Fuji was like more of like a road bike thing. Did you have any? like desire to get into road riding itself, or was it just getting an efficient commuter and then I guess how bridge the gap from there to getting into road riding?
2: Uh, so I, I think the reason I chose that particular bike is cause I'd like literally on the looks, I like mm. the way it looks. <laughs> I was like,
3: Oh, this looks Sorry, good. It was, yeah, hey,
2: Marty.
3: Marty's good. here. <laughs> I, 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 I was like, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, 545, 545. And I'm looking at my calendar because I'm, I'm doing my payroll. It's
0: like, oh no, 4:45. <laughs> so Marty oh, is Marty is in Barcelona, Spain right now. So hence the hence the time zone confusions. But we've got it all sorted. So Marty, go ahead and take your time. We, we're just kicking off here. So you, you got the bike, Bailey, off of the looks, right? Like because you thought it looked cool.
2: Yeah, and um, I think oh, you initially going to the store. Sometimes I always try, and and there's nothing wrong with like pink or whatever but I didn't want like the quote-unquote girly looking bike uh when it like black and red because it just looked like serious and so (laughs) uh and it just looked fast and I was like oh I'll be moving quick because I'm thinking about like getting from A to B quickly and um so and like I think when they told me about a carbon fork I didn't even really know about carbon and all (laughs) the differences and stuff like that so I literally just got it on looks and it actually was a smidge too big. Um, and then I would commute a bunch. And then I had a friend who I uh, we worked together, uh, Mika, and I that me getting a bike and riding all the time encouraged her to get a bike. And so she started commuting to work too as a result.
4: Mm.
2: And then mm-hmm. one day we were like, let's just do a ride ride. And then during that actual ride, uh, we ended up like meeting – in like the Strip District of uh, Pittsburgh and riding from the Strip District all the way out to like past like the waterworks and stopping and having breakfast at like Wendy's. And then we (laughs) just kept like riding and riding and ended up on like this road like Saxonburg, which is a really popular road that cyclists ride on out here. And she ended up bonking and, or maybe just bonking or just like hit a fitness wall or whatever. Cause it was Mm -hmm. like the first time we ever did that sort of sort of mileage. And her boyfriend had to pick her up. And uh, (laughs) after he was so annoyed cause he was actually having a boy's day. And so he had to like (laughs) leave the boy's day go pick up his girlfriend who was stranded in the middle of nowhere pretty much and uh, rescue her. And then him telling that story uh, he ended up working, um, he ended up being co workers with the president of Pittsburgh Major Taylor Cycling Club. And oh, so no he relayed this story to Bruce. And then Bruce was like, hmm, tell that woman to come meet us here, <laughs> such and such. And so, like, they passed the message along and they ended up actually uh, meeting them. They used to do rides at different key locations around the city, but one of the locations was in the plaza where performance bikes was because it was just a good starting point because they had the bathrooms and if people had bike issues, they Mm. could just go and get taken care of. And so um, that's pretty much how I met him. And when I first met them, I came up on a ride. I came to join them on a ride and I wasn't even wearing a helmet or anything. And Mm -hmm. he's, he goes, you can't ride with us without a helmet. And I said, (laughs) what? (laughs) uh, He actually, he's such a president because he would, he, he would carry extra helmets extra whatever in his vehicle and that's so awesome. he pulled out a helmet and was like you gotta put this on i said that's ugly <laughs> and so he's like you, you gotta either wear it or you ain't around with us and so I, I reluctantly put it on and then um pretty much from that point on i wouldn't got a helmet that matched my bike that looked good and so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I started wearing it from then on and that's actually what got me to start wearing a helmet and before then i didn't really I didn't really like know about changing gears and doing all that stuff. I felt like when you were riding your bike, being in a hard gear is normal. Like you should be pushing mm. it and grinding it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would like ride with them. And they were like, dude, you're dying back here on this hill. Why are you grinding? And I'm like, because I'm like working hard, you know? And he's like, you don't gotta be working that hard, that type of hard. So like, he was teaching me about like, changing my gears. And I didn't even like know. But they really uh, enlightened me uh, a lot for, <laughs> on a lot of things because I didn't even know what I was doing
1: on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, so Bailey actually shared the story with us earlier, and I just want to go back because I don't want to skip over this part. So on the ride, the first ride that you did with Mika, where you guys stopped at Wendy's, how long did you end up actually riding that day?
2: Uh, I ended up blowing like 60 something miles Uh, and that was, that was long for me. I was like, that's just
1: long.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's long period. (laughs) That's just long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's amazing to me
0: (laughs) going out and doing a hundred K day is pretty big. Like that. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, On accident.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, That's (laughs) that's what, that's what blows my mind is like 60 plus miles on accident. Like that's just, I love that. I think that's great.
0: (laughs) One of the best parts too, is the fact that you still got in the cafe stop. Like you were such a cyclist yeah. already. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was Wendy's, but it was still a cafe stop. So that's, awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, Marty, uh, good to have you with us. So, uh, give uh, some people really, I guess, some background on where you're from for, like we said, you're in Barcelona now, but where you're from and how you got into cycling.
3: Okay. Um, well, my name is Barney. I'm from <laughs> Chicago. I'm from uh, Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I got into bicycling actually through running. Uh, I used to run with a uh, running collective in Chicago called Three Run Two, and one of our members, her husband, was part of the cycling community. He raced for a team called uh, Bonkers Cycling, and he was a really nice guy. And he's like, "Hey, you know, you should come out and, and meet the team." and you know, you kind of inter- I kind of ex- had expressed interest in racing. I had been riding a fixed gear around town, to and from work and commuting and whatnot. Uh, and I-, I had always liked riding my bike and just being on the bicycle just because of, uh, of it being such a pleasurable experience in general. But, uh, yeah, I never had really thought about, like, racing until he had in- kind of invited me. So I guess the following week or whatever, he goes, yeah, we're having our team meeting you should come by and meet the, the team and stuff. So I met the team and uh, we talked about some of the team issues, kids, whatever, and it was coming up. I kind of sat and listened and whatnot. And, uh, and, and the whole team, they're all still really good friends of mine uh, to this day. So that was in late 2014. And I got my first bike in December of that year. And I... Went out for my first ride. I think the day after with uh, my friend. His name was Andres, and uh, yeah, I was I was pretty much hooked. That next season in March was uh, when the race season starts. It's practically still winter in Chicago, so um, I started racing that next year. And that's all she wrote. I I really, really enjoyed it, and the Chicago scene is really really awesome.
0: Yeah, we wanted to talk about that actually really quick. Like, what makes what made the Chicago scene so awesome because, and and what we're really getting at here, because we focus on this podcast on making people faster, but nobody can get faster if they don't have the support group that they need in cycling to kind of, to get started. And it's something we really don't talk about a whole lot, right? Because a lot of the time we talk, we take people from, you know, more like point G to point M or something, you know, instead of point A to point B. So, uh, in this case, like, I think that it's something that we should probably cover because it's funny. One of our, uh, one of our awesome designers, her name is, her name is Babs. She's from Chicago as well. And, and she's mentioned that like the Chicago scene is really, really good. So, uh, what did people do? in the beginning for you, Marty, or what did the Chicago scene do that helped you feel like you were welcome or helped you, I guess, gain enthusiasm faster for the sport, if that makes sense.
3: Uh, that's That's a good question. Uh, I think, uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier this week. We talked about it. I think, first of all, I want to start off by saying that what Chicago lacks in cycling, friendly geography, (laughs) physical geography, it more than makes up for in, uh, uh, socially, so Chicago's on Lake Michigan, as you all know, so you're either going west, north, or south into Indiana, and it's all pretty much flat and uh, in Barcelona, I could cover what I do in one long ride would take me like two years in Chicago to cover <laughs> as far as yeah <laughs> like, literally I'm not even exaggerating um, but I don't know uh. The the everyone there is is really friendly and not just in the cycling scene but in, in other uh, other realms as well. Um, and part of what we kind of talked about, I think you mentioned this on Monday. What was it? it was social?
1: What was the term you use, Amber? Oh, social accountability. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, we were um, we were talking. Yeah, we were just talking about how when everybody knows everyone else, it makes a little bit harder to be a jerk. <laughs> That's the truth. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, somewhat, there's a little bit of, I guess, social survival in there as well. But for the most part, it's a really, really friendly scene and a really open scene. And uh, I had never thought that cycling was like that before I got into cycling. I'm like, wow, this is weird. This is roadside, I, you know, I grew up thinking that all you guys were jerks, you know, and, and, and super, super closed. And like, it was like an elite kind of, you know, world, but, uh, you know, in Chicago, I didn't get that feeling at all.
4: Hmm. Oh, that's so
0: cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that's man. like you said about being inviting and being, uh, I guess like, cause I, I've definitely, I think we probably all witnessed the other side of the spectrum where it is uh, exclusive rather than inclusive, it is, uh, there is an elitist feel rather than, uh, uh, uh rather than a participatory and supportive feel, I guess, uh, amongst yeah, everybody. For sure. uh, yeah. uh, and, and I guess this is kind of just like a question to all of us. What do we think, or what have we seen done or what have we done or what has been done for us that has made something more inclusive, made cycling more inclusive? I'm thinking of like the person that got me into cycling. His name is Roger, uh, Roger Mooney, like the nicest guy. And sounds like a nice name. Right. Yeah. he's just (laughs) awesome. He's a fire captain and just like, totally like the fireman that you would think of, like just hardworking, really kind, like guy. And, and he was, uh, really helpful to me in getting started. He didn't wait for me ever. He, or I should say he just, he <laughs> dropped me all the time, but then he would wait for me eventually, right? Like, and I always knew that he would be there, but every time I would, he wasn't like just, I, and I was really eager for advice, but he was never the person to like be throwing advice at me constantly. He was, you know, waiting for me to ask those questions if I wanted. And then it was just always involving me. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really kind. And it made me go from a point where I was like, yeah, I want to try this bicycling thing just, just cause I missed the feeling of two wheels to something where I was like, wow, this is a whole lot more. Like I really like this sport and he taught me everything, you know, from the ground up in the beginning, just somebody kind of like a mentor, I guess, taking me under his wing. That was what was helpful for me. If, if, if any of you seen anything that's made cycling more inclusive, whether it was with somebody else or yourself.
1: Well, uh, both think, of, yeah, go ahead, Bailey. Sorry. No, I like, um, I think,
2: so I think I had a couple different, so like the first one was like Pittsburgh Major Taylor Cycling Club, like Bruce and other like more experienced members.
0: Can like you describe Major stuff. Taylor really quick? Uh, the, the organization itself, because that's an oh, like awesome yeah, so. organization, probably not a lot of, not a lot of people probably know about it.
2: Oh yes, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I should plug it since I'm the president now. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh yeah, so Pittsburgh Major Taylor Cycling Club is an organization that actually started a little more than a decade ago by uh several uh, guys who wanted to uh create like better fitness for themselves and for the, for the Black community. And so uh, Mario, who actually still works at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, he is one of the uh, <clears throat> originators for the Pittsburgh chapter. And through that, they just wanted to do outreach to um, Black writers. I mean, it's all inclusive, the membership varies, but uh, the intention was Black writers to change the uh, lifestyles and like healthy, Making healthy choices and stuff like that because um, diabetes is high and um, just wanting to make better decisions. And so it really came out of that. Uh, and then the club's mission ultimately had that as the core and also uh, branching out for the youth. And so we have like a major force youth cycling program um, where we pretty much, for about six, eight weeks, we uh, train kids on bikes. We meet with them two times a week. And at the end of the program, we give them the bike that they were training on um, and they're all brand new bikes. Um, And so we, the bikes have, you know, they'll be loaded with the saddle bags, bottle cages, bottles, and we'll give them clothes and all that stuff and teach them road safety. And so we've been through that program we've actually purchased the bikes from various um, bike stores around the city to try to show love to each of the different bike shops, different years. Um, And so uh, that program, is definitely I think I really love that program. I love that we we do that as a, sort of a give back and we also do beginner rides and stuff like that just in general with our, our membership as well. Um so that is uh super impactful. I mean, it's been the Rona this year, so we had to cancel our program. <laughs> Unfortunately, even though we had started to actually engage the youth that we were working with, um like they actually got their clothes and stuff at the at the beginning of the season, but then it was like nothing because mm-hmm. corona mm-hmm. um but so that's like a really uh impactful piece of of our program and then overall just trying to get folks cycling no matter what your background is and the thing that I like about the club is that everyone has different body types because when I entered cycling I was on the rounder side and I was somebody who actually I come from a background of no fitness whatsoever like I didn't work out I wasn't an athlete at all so I'm like complete late bloomer so coming into the club and seeing people who were, um, fat riding bikes and going up hills and all different body types and all different ages was really empowering. And so I took a lot from that. And then, you know, once you discover cycling and the race part, the part that supported that was the Allegheny Cycling Association. Um, when they put on like a local race series, like a weekly training worlds, um, on the Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And, um, they actually have a, uh, on the Tuesday nights for the C race, which is a beginner, uh, like cat four, cat five category, they'll have marshals in that race that are always there. And those marshals will, um, even though some people don't necessarily like it, but if you identify that you're a new rider, then the marshals will know to like help you provide tips if you needed, and if you fall off the back, which happens? Uh, then they, <laughs> then they like ride with you, and they kind of coach you along on the track, so you know where to ride. And um, and we allow for people um, at the ACA uh, races that you can get back on at the back, especially because it's a training race, and you want to encourage people to understand how they can get back on and how to get back into the like peloton and uh, just get comfort level with riding with groups. And so I think that was like huge as a part of the race ushering in the racing and making it welcoming um, even though there wasn't like a lot of women there but the marshals were still really cool and super helpful and I think that really helps uh, move me along and make me feel more comfortable to be like oh okay I can try this out even if I keep getting dropped week after week after week you know yeah. <laughs> keep coming back and and trying it and having the encouragement of um those marshals like one marshal who helped me a lot his name was Jacob Yunt I got so used to staring at his butt because I was always behind him. He was always ushering me along. <laughs> so
0: like, I know that butt from anywhere. I have to trail. <laughs> so good. That's so true too. When you first start riding, if you have that like person you ride with, like you start to understand, you're like, yeah, like that, you know, his left ankle always turns in. Like you start to recognize like all these funny little quirks, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. that's true. Um, Marty, yeah. how about you? Um something so, that's been made it more I, inclusive for you or, or, uh, yeah. or supportive in any way.
3: Uh I I I'm gonna piggyback off of what I said again just on the, the community in general, it's just supportive, but specifically I had two team uh my, my teammate Andres who me in. He was <laughs> he was he was encouraging, but he was like he did it in a harsh kind of way. I mean, because we were <laughs> friends, but he would just be like We'd be riding in a group, it'd be my first group ride with the team. And I, I'd let like let a uh, gap kind of open up and he he wouldn't be like, okay, you know, you need to get there. He goes, marty get on that wheel. And it's like, <laughs> okay, okay, and i on the wheel. So it was really like, I don't know, I was kind of like, like kind of whipped into shape pretty quickly <laughs> uh, by Andres. And then like uh yeah, I had another teammate, my good friend Thomas who uh would have kind of the same style he would like like actually like hey man like what are you doing like no that's not how you do it you know what i mean <laughs> that's kind of what his tone you know what i mean but uh the, it, it was like a really tough love as far as on, on the team is and in, in getting me into the fold of how to ride and race uh, in a safe manner uh mm-hmm. and, and place myself my uh My first race was one of the first races of the season, the Lincoln park criteria. it's right on the lake at like the beginning of April. So it's practically wintertime on the lake, Lake Michigan in Chicago. Freezing. And (laughs) yeah, no, it is. And and this race is famous for always having inclement weather. Uh, Luckily this first year, it wasn't like that. (laughs) that. Um, It was my first. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I had people from three run two come out and support as well. like so even friends of mine that weren't in cycling actually came out uh, you know to the to, to see me in the race and I remember uh, after my first lap,
1: I went I was like
3: in the hoods you know I'm like riding racing in the hoods and I just hear Andres from the side get in those drops And like from that point forward they've <laughs> like, already the drops. And I'm like okay. From that point forward, I was in the drops for every race at every moment. Like it's like it was like such a. I was like traumatized into, into this. Um, but aside uh, from the tough love, it was a really really welcoming uh, welcoming environment with uh, with Bonkers.
0: Um, Best cycling team name ever, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a great cycling <laughs> team name. Yeah, yeah.
3: Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it has a long, uh, it's a Chicago, Chicago classic. Um, mm. A lot of the guys have moved out to Colorado and kind of spread out, whatever. But the Bonkers soul is still
0: still, still very much alive. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome.
3: So yeah, and you know we have programs as well in Chicago that are uh, kind of similar to piggyback off what uh, uh, Shaquille was saying um, to help get new cyclists into the fold and uh, uh, in the communities, uh, you know, exposing the world of psychics of people who otherwise wouldn't have that type of exposure as well. So there's a general uh, supportive uh, vibe in Chicago for that.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I
1: think that's what makes I was just going to say, I think that's what makes the tough love so effective, too, if you know, there's a huge difference between somebody yelling at you to get in the drops and they're being a jerk about it. And somebody that, you know, really cares and is excited to have you in cycling. And then they're yelling at you to get in the drops, right? Like, so the tough love, like the tough love, you need the love component there for it to be really
0: effective. (laughs) (laughs) Amber, you've been at like so many levels, I guess, of, of cycling. So you've probably seen People being, you know, inclusive, also being, you know, exclusive as well, Mm. and like totally different levels of it. But um, how about you? Like what made you feel like you had the support to get started in the beginning?
1: So I started in collegiate racing, and I think one of the common threads I'm hearing with this is like each of us had some kind of an organization, whether it was a club or outreach, um, that kind of made you feel like you were part of the group. And I think that was a really big one for me too with collegiate cycling. Like, you know, we're a club team. Um, but but there's like an established group of people who then make you feel welcome as part of their group. And, you know, as part of that welcome, they care that you're there. They want you there. And so when they are giving you critical feedback, <laughs> you know it's because it's for your own good and they genuinely want to see you succeed. So I think those are uh, that sense of community, is huge. And that can be a city, a town, a cycling club, a school. Um, I think that really, really helps because it immediately makes you feel like you're a part of something really concrete. And mm-hmm. that sense of welcome, I think is really, really important.
0: Yeah. It's I crucial. had a cycling club that I joined pretty, like, and they were like a team as well, but that I joined pretty soon after I started as well. And, and they were really helpful with that. And Don Padalock was the guy that was kind of like the the director. We called him the DS and he totally was (laughs) and super nice guy. And it was really fun learning the the basics of racing with, with that, that crew as well. It's super helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess the onus is on all of us that are listening to this, that are experienced cyclists and even those that are new cyclists that are listening to this or triathletes as well. Totally. Uh, the onus is on us to, to serve that role to somebody else, right. To, yeah. to be the, like a Amber, you always say, be a good wheel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's, it's up to us to, to do that. And it's funny because what we've all talked about is support and it came in different forms, right? It was like, Roger was like the silent, strong, but very helpful friend when I needed it. And then, you know, but then the tough love side of things too. So like every person, like you were saying, Marty. So every person is going to need something unique. So it's or just like
1: Bruce, just laying down the law, no helmet, no ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's just, so it, there it is. <laughs> It's up to us to be receptive to what a person needs and, and to know them enough to know that first of all, and to, to, to want to know that person enough. And then, uh, you know, just be there to support them in whichever way that is not necessarily drown them in advice, not necessarily <laughs> correct them at all times, or even like give them, you know, hand me down, st- whatever it is. Like many times just get to know the person and then support them in whatever way they need. So, uh, yeah, I believe it really helps, especially because I do think largely cyclists, you know, are really like good and great, you know, kind people and the social environment around cycling, I believe is also largely very good, but you know, clearly we're, we're also known for our, the pockets of not very good that exist out there as well. So like you said, Marty, um, the, the assumption that it's a lot of, you know, that it's a rich old white man's sport and in a lot of cases it's not disproven. Right. So, uh, maybe it's up to all of uh, us. I don't think to, that's an assumption. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Data backs it up. Right. Yeah. I think that's, um, a, I think that's pretty fair to say. <laughs> numbers yeah. don't lie. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. But we got, we got people. Go
2: ahead, Shane. Okay. I was just saying speaking to certain like people so like just think about like the races and stuff, because I like didn't have a car. Um, but once I started like, racing and showing interest, uh Stephanie Swan um they used to call us, like her little ducklings, but um <laughs> she would actually uh let me uh we would carpool to races. Uh and so I think that was super like that was like a huge springboard to actually Get to races yeah. and encouraged me to like stick with it. And then I got a car to get to races. The only reason I bought a car was to get <coughs> to races. So and I got a Honda Fit because, <laughs> and I was like, I have to be able to fit my bikes. And when I went to the car <laughs> dealer, I brought my bike. I actually brought my bike <laughs> to the car dealer, put it in the back just to make sure <laughs> that it would fit without having to take the wheel off and everything. So, like, I was, like, so serious once I, like, was ready. I was like, I'm going to get this car to go to races. So, this got to fit in here. And the dealer was at <laughs> me like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's gotta be cycling meme potential there somehow like yeah, cyclist sure. buys <laughs> car based on bike fit, right? Like it's amazing. Yeah. If it's, <laughs> it's, it's parents, priorities. do it. Parents bring in their car seats and do it. Right. So why not? Like yeah. it's, <laughs>
3: it's for their kids. It's for their kids. It's for our kids.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, I want to take a moment to talk about the black foxes, your organization. So, um, Amber, uh, you're good friends with Aisha McGowan, of, of course, yeah. uh, sh- Shaquay and also Marty as well. Um, and this is something, and if anybody doesn't know who Aisha is or who the Black Foxes are, you can follow them on Instagram. And you can also follow Bailey Deuce Dimples, right? Is, that's you yeah. on, on Instagram. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Aww. And then uh, <laughs> Marty, where where are you at on Instagram so people can follow you?
3: Oh, mine is uh it's pronounced, it's pronounced uh, Marty Martinho, but the it's it's it comes from Portuguese, so the INE in Spanish in Portuguese is in H. Cool. So it looks like Marty Martinho, but it's Marty Martinho. That's <laughs> awesome. how it's
0: pronounced. Cool. Yeah. So I wanna take some time to talk about the black foxes and what you all do on this, because I think that it's um it's an important thing for us to understand, especially coming from me as a white male. I think that it's important for me to understand for sure. So, uh, looking at, at what you guys are doing uh, in this sport or what y'all are doing in this sport. So, um, I'm just going to run through like, so if you go to the black Fox's website, which there'll be a link done to it, there's like a, a mission statement and, uh, it has eight points and I want to go through just the eight points really quick, and uh, to describe them. And of course I'm not going to describe them. I'll leave it up to, to all okay. of you to describe them. So, um, so I guess first things first and Marty, maybe you can control the, or maybe you can discuss this one uh, a bit or explain it, but at uh, number one, we control okay. uh, the, this is one of the mission statements. We control our own narratives. Uh, we refuse to be defined and scrutinized by those who do not share our love, struggle and story within the realm of cycling and all outdoor spaces. So uh, what's what's meant and intended with that one?
3: Um, ba- uh, basically it's just, we want to be able to use our own words and tell our own, literally like tell our own stories in uh, whatever content uh, that we're posting or even in, in social situations. Uh, we wanna just be able to have like our voice and, our experience is spoken by us instead of, you know, sometimes if someone else is, it's like that game where you, you you know, the game where you tell a secret in class to someone and then they pass it around. And by the time it gets into the, the class, it's something different. Well, in, in some cases, in interviews or in, in, in things like that, when you talk to someone, that you don't get as so many people. It can happen like within an interview where someone can, uh, an interviewer can take something that you're saying, or it's the art of sound bites and editing, I think, that can. It's is kind of, is one aspect as to where that, uh, number one comes from. Uh, we don't want to be misunderstood and the best way to not be misunderstood is to allow us to tell our own stories. Um, actually, I don't know if you saw Giant and Liv's, uh, recent, uh, Juneteenth posts on, on, on Instagram. Um, uh, but yeah, Aisha and Will had, uh, a big part in that because, uh, you know, they were thinking, well, you know, what can we do? It's like, this is an important thing. Juneteenth is a, is, a, is 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 a, 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 an important day in American history. So what can we do? What can we do? And they were just like, why don't you just let us do the post? <laughs> and it ended up being uh, uh, um, a really amazing post if you hadn't seen it already, which it mm. is. So if you check that out on Instagram, anyone listening, um, that was us. So I think that that's what we're talking about. And, and sometimes, I, you know, I think in some, t- sometimes it doesn't really, it, it can happen not like it, like on purpose. Like, oh, I'm going to take this and I'm going to tell my story about it. It doesn't, I don't think it happens like that. I don't think people are like, yeah, I'm going inter- to interview Shaquia and then I'm going like to twist her words and, and then I'm going to give my view on it. I don't think it's done intentionally a lot of times, but it does end up happening. Um, uh, I mean, um, enough for it to be. A point on our manifesto mm. so uh, yeah basically open in space for us to tell our experiences
0: that's something okay. that i feel like uh so nobody is a perfect communicator all of us mess up uh, i say this coming from a position of experience <laughs> 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 and having the podcast and trying to represent things and it's really hard to be able to represent even your own thoughts clearly a lot of the time much less to represent the thoughts and opinions of others. It'd be like me telling everybody what Amber's pro career was like, and what being a pro female (laughs) cyclist is like, like, it's absurd to think that I could do that. Like I could listen to Amber talk about it and then I could relay it. However, I'm not going to be able to catch all the detail And so much of, of what we're talking about in cycling in terms of performance and so much of what we're talking about also in cycling, in terms of culture. And then, you know, ex extrapolate that across outside of cycling as well is about nuance so they can be lost, you know? So, um, and the cool part is I think, so just like when I ride with a different athlete that rides a very different type of cycling, um, whether that's, uh, if I ride with somebody that's a cyclocross specific athlete, I learn a ton from that athlete individually. Uh, and just different things that I wouldn't think that I would learn. They look at things differently. So in a sport where we tend to be very homogenized in terms of the voices that are telling the stories of the sport, discussing the products of the sport, discussing everything else. I think it is important for us to, to change that and to make it a more diversified voice. So then we get more perspectives. So hopefully that's what we can do here with the podcast right now. So, and get different perspectives uh, next one we inspire and encourage more black people to delve into the outdoors and outdoor sport, whatever their realm of interest may be. And at whatever level they feel comfortable. Uh, do you want to go into that one, Bailey? Uh,
2: yeah. So I think with the, the black boxes, um, so many of us, like, yeah, we ride bikes as the centerpiece, but you have people, uh, who are doing other things like who are climbing and who are like skiing and, doing other stuff outdoors just normalizing those behaviors and then also I think it's really cool that several of the black foxes I like, have uh jobs in outdoor industry like I never even thought about people black people like having a job being a ride leader someone who leads bike trips and and someone who like that is their job like that's something I was like oh that's what a white person does probably white mm-hmm. male like I would never even think a black person or black woman would even be in that role um that so that's like normal uh and so I think just having people working in the industry and doing it and doing it and it's fun and black people fishing hunting and just doing the whole spectrum uh like, and just encouraging all those behaviors and amplifying those voices and sharing what other people are doing. Um, We just, we want that to be seen and we want uh, that to be represented because, you know, no one is all of one thing. Um, And so I think it's important to uh, highlight just enjoying outdoors more, not just in biking, but in in every aspect, because, Uh, you know, being outside of this beautiful, like nature is is gorgeous, like Grand Canyon and all these natural Mm. beauties and wonders. Uh, And, you know, people aren't necessarily enjoying them because maybe they don't think they belong in those spaces. Uh, So I think that's uh, really important to see like an ad, like if you see someone hiking, like it's important to see uh, black and brown folks doing that. So they don't think it's some, oh, white people hike. Um, Mm. And Cause that's what I used to think like, Oh, that's only people do that. And I only, I only got introduced to camping because of like SEA uh, student conservation association. That's how, like, how I even knew about like camping, making fires and uh, like, putting up tents and all that stuff like that. And I think those, those initiatives are super important because uh, it really does expose you to, to all different uh, facets of the outdoor world, whether it be in working, just enjoying or, you
0: know, whatever that is. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I've noticed, and like you said, there has to be something that kind of like leads a person to, to recognize that, 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 that exists and everything else and that it's okay to be in that space and that it's not like controlled by, or, or, or specifically for a set of people. And just like with the change, so like around here in Reno, it's a pretty outdoorsy place, but if, you know, uh, 12 months ago, if I was out on the trail, Uh, It was almost like the majority of the folks that I would see out there would be white people out there mountain biking, hiking, doing something like that. And, you know, as terrible as COVID is finding some sort of silver lining with this whole thing, closing all the movie theaters, closing all the malls, closing all the other things like that sports, not on TV. It's been so cool to see out on our trails. The way more diversity and people that you can tell are like, what in the world is this hiking thing? (laughs) And like, is there a bear over there? Like, you know, it's like, it's like a totally different (laughs) environment for them. And it's so cool because what we're seeing is the fact that people are, and I mean, this is probably going off on a tangent, but it's public land. Like it's their land and it's their experience that they get to have at any point and it's back in their hands and so many people are getting to see it. So I think that's immensely powerful. Um, it's super cool. And it's awesome that yeah. the organization's doing it.
3: That is immensely powerful. That's a good point, and it's also a thing where we're also battling. Just to just piggyback off this point, what you're saying is like we're in in all our little spaces, we are battling a colonizer mentality, and that includes the colonization of outdoor space. Where a lot of us, it's changing, and this is good. You know, this is changing, but a lot of us are like, oh, that like well, she was that's what she saying, that's something that's white people do, and. And it's crazy because a all the white people have that same thought process. And it's funny how everyone is playing a part in this. Like, this is what white people do. This is what we do. Right.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then you'll see like, uh, so it's also like a color, like, oh, like, like, well, what are you doing here? Like, this is like, why, you know, it's like, no, 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 this is like you said, this is public land. Right. And before any of this, it was none of our land. It was someone else's land before it was taken right. from them.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. So we, it's good. And that's, and as far as point number two, that's what we really wanted to is make this is, everyone has a right to this.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, super good point. The third one, uh, we create our own content, prioritizing black writers and black creators for the world to see our value and talents are for everyone, but we are behind the wheel and how they shine. That kind of goes back to like that first point, right? And in the sense that basically it's, it's allowing all of you to tell your own stories, right?
3: Correct and shoot our own stories and write our own stories and film our own stories and 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 in the process highlight those other creators who are also doing that. Like we could have this same podcast about a photographer or a filmmaker or an editor or anyone else that we would use to create any type of you know content. Um, and they, yeah, like I said, like you said, it's like number three is like number one, but it's the the how, mm-hmm. right? Of of how number one for uh, sure can come to can come to be or be realized
0: we're making efforts there at trainer road to to work with uh so first of all working with uh people of color for that are creatives instead of just casting with talent everything else but mm-hmm. actually working with them so then we get the different perspective um, that they have on the sport so we we've recognized that we have a lot of room for improvement with that uh, across all the different marketing assets that we have because that sort of thing like if you think about it like so it's like uh, to one person it might be just seen as like changing a picture or changing who like a, an author on something or changing something like that however if you stand back and look at that at scale if those changes don't happen then it just continues to be kind of like this big you know just kind of one-sided existing narrative. Whereas if everybody makes those little changes like that, and we definitely, and we work with the creatives that have these different perspectives, then we can actually start to see some change. So,
1: right. You don't just get perspective. Isn't just about what's visible in the outcome. It's about the whole process, the whole Mm -hmm. system of what leads to the outcome. And that's, you know, that's where it becomes just baked in and a part of how things work. And that's how it should be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Next one, we aim to normalize blackness in cycling and outdoor spaces, and we want to erase the white savior mentality that is ubiquitous in this industry. Um, Do you want to touch on that one, Bailey? Uh,
2: Yeah, and I definitely want Marty to chime in too on this, but um, they're just kind of speaking to normalizing us just being outside and doing that work and just having fun and enjoying those spaces so that you don't have people like me when I was a kid thinking only a white person does this like it shouldn't be that like if I hit up a friend and I'm like yeah hey, you want to go kayaking they don't give me the side eye it because mm. it's just kayaking kayaking it's not like there's no color it's just it's an activity mm. you know it doesn't belong to any one person um and just you know saying that for example but yeah we want that to be normal that people are doing all different types of activities uh or you know or there's um you know with with skiing and snowboarding and all of the other activity that may normally be identified with you know certain demographics you know field hockey uh, like want all those outdoor activities to be thought of as for anyone and everyone that any everyone could do them um, because you know there's no limit like the person you know the maybe the the next gold medalist for you know skateboarding might be some little black girl you know just because she's you know somebody saw put foot to the so so like it was a good idea to put a skateboard in her hand and be like yeah you could do this and not think this is only for a boy one Mm -hmm. and that this is not only for you know a a white child or whatever like anyone could do this um and bmx and just seeing like i I think there's a couple cool kids that i can't think of their names but they're young like, kids who we were riding BMX, like who would have thought, like, I think if I would have probably saw that, I might've given it a go. But when I was a kid, I, only my brother was doing like jumping tricks and stuff. Cause <laughs> I was taught like, girls shouldn't be doing that. You need to right. be doing certain things. And so like, there's just that like gender thing that yeah. society and even our parents do that say, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be, girls don't jump off of things. Girls aren't climbing on the things. Um and maybe we would have more female climbers if mom weren't telling their daughters, you know, or parents weren't telling their daughters like, hey, don't climb on that or even normalizing putting shorts on them so that they could feel comfortable climbing <laughs> and not exposing their underside to yeah, you know whoever is so underneath. <laughs> um just like normalizing those behaviors and yeah and um, in the full spectrum. Uh but yeah.
0: It's it's funny because I don't I you know like I look at that and I realize how much inspiration I've taken from different people that have done the sports that I've done Cause I've largely lived a very outdoor centric, like act- activity, lifestyle my whole life. And I've never had that to like run it through a layer of what should be done and what shouldn't be done. Cause I've been privileged to be, at, or I'm in this situation of privilege in the sense that it's like, you know, it's that same white privilege. Like I've never had to think of that. I've never had to think, can I skateboard? Should I skateboard? Like I just skateboarded, you know, and so yeah, like I hope that is something that gets broken down uh, for everybody else. I would, I would hate to think of like going through that experience and thinking that like I just don't know if that fits with my culture, like the, cause that, because mm-hmm. that it yeah. shouldn't be that way. Like you said, the sports and everything, thing. yeah, exactly. It's a thing, <laughs> everybody can enjoy it. Even Marty. some
1: of the sports. Oh, sorry. no, no, go ahead, go I, ahead.
2: I think about some of the sports, uh, like being in certain schools, so like we. So in Pittsburgh public schools, I went to Pittsburgh public school. Um, if you go to Alderdice, they have way more sports offered because they're have a larger white population. And if you, I went to Peabody, um, and the amount of sports and activities offered was like mm-hmm. cut down. Um, and I remember, like when I was a kid, I actually wanted to try rowing, but that's not something that was offered. And yeah. so I never did. And it was like the barrier of like, uh, the cost barrier is cost prohibitive for my mom to just sign me up or something like that. So I never even got to try it. So just like knowing what's nearby is one of those things like the skateboarding park. It's not like any celebrity or in Larmer, which were like predominantly black neighborhoods. It's out in Bethel Park. So it's like even the proximity of where things are located is mm. even, like it's a privilege to mm-hmm. to have access to that. And then now we have the okay. wheel mill in Pittsburgh, which is in the heart of Homewood. And um, Harry who created it, it's, you know, he provides access to young black kids who live in the neighborhood and provide, gives them discounted pricing for getting in. Like, he recognizes that, hey, these kids normally wouldn't even have access to this place. And because they live here and we are our business is placed in their neighborhood, we are gonna bring down the barrier and, and provide cool. a place for them to be able to ride bikes. And then now we have this Ruach Bike Club, um, and it's RUAC, R-U-A-U-C-H, I forgot what it stands for, but basically it's black guys like, yeah, we're gonna create this program where we're gonna teach black kids how to ride BMX bikes and their hub is the wheelmill. So like, I just think about like, it normalizes my behavior at a young age. So now yeah. you have little, you know, elementary middle school age kids doing
0: jumps that i would not be doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's awesome
1: your your point about the accessibility of different sports too i think is so important because you know to your point we might find the next gold medalist but even if we don't sports are such an important outlet for kids for health both physical and mental and i think that oftentimes what we see it was definitely the case for me too. in public schools, there's like a really narrow offering and it's often, you know, around team sports or ball sports and kids, not all kids fit that model, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, not all kids feel comfortable in a team sport. Um, but they might feel comfortable in something that has a little more independence, like skateboarding that has a little more independence, like cycling. And oftentimes, you know, we lose kids at a really tender age because they start to think they start to just hate anything that has to do with physical activity. Like I hate sports, I hate exercise. And the only reason for that is because they haven't found the one outlet that actually, you know, suits them because they don't fit the mold that's being forced upon them. And I think that when we can give kids access to more choices like that, it's not just about, you know, the Olympics, it's also about just having healthy, happy people in our communities
0: adults too, right? Like yeah. a friend yeah. of mine, we were talking yeah. about, we were talking about this the other day and he's like, I'm like a middle-aged white male. I like, I need to watch football and I need to barbecue <laughs> and I need to mow my grass and be proud of that. Like, you know, like that's like, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, cause I, I, and he would totally feel uncomfortable jumping into something that was out of his realm. So the message should hopefully be hitting home for all of us right now, no matter our age. It's something that we can change for others and also change for ourselves. Like, uh, you know, yeah. these sort of things. When we're talking about good, positive, healthy, uplifting things that are in many cases, these, the, you know, all forms of outdoor recreation, but in particular ones we're fans of cycling mm-hmm. shouldn't be off limits at all. Right, Marty. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, no. Yeah. I was just going to piggyback off what you said. Uh, uh, what what you said there, Bailey, about your, your story you told about the park and the skate park and the high schools, yeah. the access to sports. It's, it's like that and here's the thing, because we have these conversations like, oh, you know, the system should be better. You know, the system's not working the way it is. And these things are not by accident. These resources that are not in communities, the system is working exactly how it was set up to work. Right. and And that, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You understand? There's a reason why in certain communities, we have a lack of these sport activities in our communities that we have a lack of, even of healthy fruits and vegetables and grocery stores in a lot of our communities. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's a reason for that. It's not by accident. That's the first thing I wanted to piggyback off what you were saying. So mm-hmm. it's funny. Like he, she said, you know, your friend started the was the BMX program, right? Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mike White. Is, we're up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's awesome. I think that's great. And what I think would be even better in future when we have these bigger conversations is for like the governments to start doing things like that. Because private individuals, it's good that they're doing that work, but honestly. I'd like to live in a world where you know where our taxes go; they <laughs> provide resources for everyone and just make it simpler, so that the 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 you know private individuals don't have to do what a public institution's job should be. For sure. Um, and the exposure to sports is just like exposure to education. It's not education; isn't just in school. Education mm-hmm. can be exposing kids and adults, right, who have to do, to new activities, to new experiences. To open their mind and make them healthier and happier. people.
0: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Great points. Great points. Um, okay. Uh, the next one, I like this one. We trailblaze pun intended. It says, uh, for increased pathways and influence for more black, uh, bike packers, gravelers, and mountain bikers. This is one that hits close to home for me. It's funny. Like, um, so I was working with some photographers and, and our design team, and we were looking at like imagery that we had access to with a bunch of different photographers, like race, uh, like, um, uh, race participation footage, right? So like whether you did Leadville or some USAC race, something like that. And if you think it's hard to find a person of color racing a road bike, try a mountain bike race. It is like so hard. Um, it's particularly tough and I don't really know why, but it's really tough to find on, on that side of things. So like on the off-road side, cause that's where my passions like truly lie. It's been really tough to find. Uh, I think that that one probably has even additional barriers. Maybe it's just because, you know, like, Mountain communities themselves tend to be like very one-sided and it's difficult to get into and everything else. They're cost prohibitive. Who knows, I don't know what it is, but that's something that I'm super excited to see that, uh, the black Foxes are there. Then also another one, all mountain brothers is another organization that people yeah, can yeah. check out, which is sure. super awesome to see. Um, Elliot Jackson is an athlete that like leads the way with this in, in, in a lot of ways, Chris Blevins as well. Um, which if anybody doesn't follow Chris Blevins, you absolutely should. He's one of the most conscious athletes I've ever like come across. He is extremely articulate and, he is also probably our you know our greatest hope in terms of mountain biking right now with the uh, the young riders that we have in our sport he's an incredible athlete um and also if you want to watch somebody do like mind bending stuff on a bicycle it's him he has so much skill it's absurd so um okay. but that that's one where we really need a lot of a lot of help i feel like so it's cool to see the black foxes making an effort there yeah i think
2: uh, yeah. jalen Raquan, Alexa, and Shinika, Nikki—they're um, really—they're uh, so talented and they're admirable. And I think it's important to know, like, it's not about the race either. It's just like them doing it and riding it, and enjoying it, and loving it, and uh, and it showing other folks that they can do it too. Because um, I have not been backpacking before, but bike packing. <laughs> but I definitely want to give it a go and. Um, like I have people in Pittsburgh who, like, oh, you could try it out, whatever, and like they'll let loan me stuff, and you know, they're so welcoming, but like I was never so inclined to just do it out of one for time commitment, work, whatever. Um, but also just comfort level, being like, oh, how comfortable am I going to be in in this space, and just being worried about my safety. Uh, because I don't know if people know, but Pennsylvania is rural. Um mm-hmm. and like once you leave Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, you it's it could be it could be scary. Um and so like just being out by yourself can be a little apprehensive and I like that they're normalized normalizing that behavior and showing that it's, it's comfortable and then you don't have to be a racer to do it. You don't have to be, you know, the top notch athlete, you know, you mm-hmm. could be somebody with asthma and is mountain biking <laughs> and crushing yeah. it. Um, like, with like Nikki, um, and Alexa's leading bike trips and stuff like that. And Raquan showing kids how to ride my own bikes and teaching them how that, that whole space. And Jalen's is doing like long back bike packing trips and hikes. I think like, that is amazing. I'm like, you guys are amazing. Um, like I'm in awe just being around them and motivated. Um, so I hope uh, other people are as well. and feel so inspired by that.
0: Awesome. The next
1: one and we'll do, oh, go I was ahead, just going to say, we'll, we'll do our best to link all those accounts. Cause, um, I follow all of those folks on Instagram mm-hmm. and they're awesome. really wonderful follows, so, uh, we'll be sure to share those too.
0: I was really terrified that you were about to say we do or we are going to do bike packing or something like that, Amber. Like, <laughs> just, just like throw a <laughs> throw a podcast challenge on me right there. Um, okay, uh, the next one. We promote cycling and outdoor recreation as more accessible ways to maintain and improve mental health in our communities. And this is one that that uh, yeah, we all benefit from it hugely, mm-hmm. even if we don't realize it. That's, right? Yeah, uh, I
2: think huge catalyst. Uh, Well, outside of, you know, commuting and all that stuff, Uh, like just outdoor riding and just reconnecting with nature and it just gets you in touch with yourself. And then I think for me also, I think what helped, the bike helped, like I had like a big breakup, which is I think part of the reason why I moved back to Pittsburgh too. Uh, And then just kind of like get in touch with self. I think the bike also helped me do that and it helped me like overcome like those struggles of like what I was going through and like any bouts of depression and just like having a hard time at work, ride your bike, you know, and, you know, have a tough relationship, you know, ride my bike. And even as like may not fix the problem, but like being outside and getting the fresh air and sunshine on your face, it, it at least makes you feel better. And you know that you feel good afterward and you know, there's like a inherent benefit by riding. And so I think that was like hugely important for me, Cause I like, that was like a really tough spot just making that transition back to Pittsburgh and trying to figure out what I'm gonna do in my life. And I think having those cycling communities and creating new friendships helped like re-engage me um, when I was like going through a dark, dark space. Um, find, helped me find like a new love uh, that, you know, is, is long lasting, you know, as long as I can still ride. Or even if I can't pedal my legs, maybe my arms, you know, get a little a hand hand bike or something. But <laughs> uh, that was uh, really impactful for me, and I think it it brought me it brought me back from like a dark place. Um, so I, I think it it definitely can do a lot for a lot of people, um, and you don't have to be like racing. It could just be just to be out there and be one with nature. And sometimes I have people who ask me like, "How are you going on a solo bike ride?" You know for 60 plus miles, or I haven't done solo <laughs> centuries, whatever. And they're like, well, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally.
0: Oh, yeah. So I don't want to replay it either. Like, like I don't know what we think <laughs> through, but it's probably weird. Who knows? Like, you know, those thoughts are for ourselves, for nobody else, you know.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, one, one thing. Amor, with- did you
2: want to chime in? Yeah. yeah.
0: Sorry. I just wanted to add one thing really quick and then, uh, jumping into, to, to you on that Marty too, is I think there's another layer specifically with cycling too, to this onion that we can peel back. And that's (laughs) of like having measurable goals and then being able to accomplish those goals and they're achievable and how good that is also for mental health. And like cycling is really unique in the sense that it's very measurable. So we can, and, uh, you know, Marty and you, Bailey, you're very, you know, you're avid train road users. You're diligent. You, you, you have seriously impressive careers, by the way, you're like knocking out your workouts nonstop. Um, but, uh, uh,
3: oh, I'm sorry. I everyone can see, I forgot. Everyone's like, yeah, I saw your workout. I'm like, wait, what? You saw your workout? How'd you know? He goes, yeah, man, I think you should do this. I'm like,
0: this my career. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that also is really good for mental health. I feel like because a lot of the time it's frustrating. Like one or one thing or another may be holding you back from progress in your life in different areas. But this might be one that you can control, and you can remind yourself that, like, hey, like you know, everything might not be in my control, and I may be held back in some ways, or I may not be, you know, where I want to be in a specific aspect of life, but this is proving to me every time that I get on the bike that I can accomplish something, I can do something hard and I can put my mind to it and get it done. And it, it's uh, done just step by step, not by overwhelming ourselves with something big. I find a lot of benefit in that in terms of mental health, just having small achievable goals that I can do that then bring about progress. So,
3: yeah, I've, I've had this, I've, def- I've had this feeling, um, I've definitely had this feeling, uh, from time to time. I remember at times I was training for the marathon, I would get out and just be running, and then, like, I, or, like, sometimes run on my bike. And, like, every once in a while, it only happens every once in a while, but I get, like, overflowed with, like, this feeling of just, of just goodness, you know, and thankfulness, you know, and gratitude. You know what I mean? And it's a strong feeling. And, like, I've, I've been, like, I've had to slow down. I've been brought to, like, watery eyes because of this. When you are doing something and you're, like, you're just so thankful to be able to get up and get out of bed and like and like run and people are like why are you running? And he's like, I don't know why. why <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just doing. I, I just it's something, and you can't. <laughs> it goes something much deeper, you know, something that really you can't really express in 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 words, um, and which is really really good for our mental well-being. I think. Mm-hmm. I know. I right? yeah. So
1: yeah. And I think that's part of what's so powerful. Like you said, you can't explain it in words. And that's one of the, for me, especially, but I think it's one of the deep joys in sharing this with somebody who's new to the sport, right? Because you can share the experience with them. You can show them this experience, you can share it together. And now suddenly they can understand the thing that you weren't able to convey with language Mm -hmm. and to be able to share that and, and, see that in each other and have that shared mutual gratitude and appreciation is just i i'm act, like i was getting a little teary-eyed when you were talking just now <laughs>
3: <Yeah. But laughs> oh, it's
4: good.
1: And, i feel that and so much <laughs> and I, yeah and now you got two
3: people that have that feeling right yes yeah, that good feeling so imagine imagine if we can get this and get communities to have this appreciation just to be able to get together and, like have like a you know, the Buddha, in Buddha they have the Sangha, you know, when you have a group of people that are in that mindset that has got so much more power to it, and that's part of like what this item of the Manifesto sort of, uh, in a way, speaks to, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's great, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't think I'll ever stop, I don't think any of us will ever stop, I mean.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're forever able to do that, you know, I, we'd be, we'd be privilege to be able to do that, to, to continue if our bodies allow us to do it. I want to yeah. be that, I want to be that guy in his nineties, dude, trying to do the hour record. That was so cool. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I don't want to do an hour record, but I just at least just want to pedal my bike. So, um, I'm going to combine the last two, cause I think, uh, Marty, you can touch on these and I think that they, they speak to a common theme here. Uh, yep. and then we're going to get into some questions that, that all of y'all have supported. So first one, uh, we create and cultivate an international network of black cyclists and we create rapport within an increased number of industry leaders and orient them in creating leadership teams that are representative of the multicultural world we live in. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Um, the, the first one cultivating an international network of black cyclists is, uh, uh, we want to create a network, and I think there's a number of ways we can do this. Um, some of the ideas that have come up um, has been a creation of uh, a database of, of of black outdoors people, not just cyclists. Um, uh, for social reasons, if uh, if you know, for imagine if you have a database to go somewhere and like, oh, I'm gonna go to uh, I'm gonna go to uh, Mount Lemon, and I want to see uh, if there's any other there's any more of us out here riding.
0: Oh, we might have lost Marty. Okay. Oh, <laughs>
3: no.
0: He's back. Maybe. <laughs> to his point, that's a, something I that. I'm breaking up. Yeah, he's yeah. breaking up to, to his point. That's something that's hugely Sorry. powerful. If, if you have other people to find and and a network to be able to rely upon. And in the mountain biking world, they have started to build something called trail forks. And that's like people that constantly share and mark and tag trails. But then on top of that, if anybody's ever shared marked or tagged or ridden a trail, you can directly contact that person. And then you can basically say, Hey, how was that trail? Can you give me some sorry. insight into I, it? Sorry. yeah. I think he's back he's and back. It, it, it helps so much. And you go I'm to these back. regions yeah, and you go outside of your comfort zone, but you can go to these regions where you wouldn't otherwise go because you know that somebody else has done something you can contact them. And you assume some sort of common bond because you're both, you know, mountain bikers in that regard. But yeah, that's a good point. Like, go to Mount Lemon and then you can contact somebody there, right, Marty?
3: That's correct. And yeah, I'm sorry, my internet just did some it's been <laughs> taxing funny today.
1: No worries. Good, good, good router. Good router.
3: Good router. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you. Good router. Um uh, yeah. And just other thing, like if, uh, let's say, let's say a brand wants to find, uh, fill a job position or get someone for a photo shoot or as an ambassador, they can come in. There's a database of, of people that they can, they can choose from. So, uh, yeah, it serves a, a number of purposes that item. Wow. Um, the, can, can I go into the last one? number eight? Please
0: go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, so wow. This
3: one, uh, this one is uh super important uh as i think everyone knows i mean you are trainer road is an industry leader and uh first of all I want to say that i like what it, it it pleases me to see the steps that you're taking uh towards this this point um and we we hope we hope to 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 work with with more to to make this more of normal standard operating procedures for a number of cycling uh, industry leaders, um, but yeah, um, we just want we just want companies to simply uh, be representative of, of of the world that we live in. And right at the present moment, cycling is not doing a good job of that, as we've talked about, as the data shows, as you mentioned before. Um, and we've we've had really good experiences with our sponsors as well. So I'm gonna uh, to kind of give trainer road example, uh, evidence item number one and the, uh, our our giant and live, uh, two of our sponsors have been doing a really, really, really good job with this. Um, Will was just telling me about a conversation he had with their, uh, global, um, the global marketing, uh, manager. And he, when Will was telling him about our story, what we're doing, he's like, yeah, you know, like his response like will didn't have to sell it to him Mm -hmm. he was like yeah this is what i'm talking about this is this should be like normal behavior you know and they said so like like, what do you what do you need like just you know like you have your thing i have mine I I, we're seeing the same eye to eye just let us know how operationally we can help you realize uh these these goals so which is really surprising because usually especially with things like this you have to end up kind of uh, you have to end up selling it in a way you have to in a way it's like it's like Mm -hmm. you're talking to people but you're in a way trying to convince them as to why this is a good idea Uh, but with uh, Giant and with Liv uh, you know Brooke over at Liv she's great as well I mean these are two companies that they're like yeah this is this is this should be normal
0: Um,
3: and are really supportive as as what we're doing Uh, another thing that we want to do Another thing that we're aiming to do is in creating these reports is to help uh, companies realize that we talked about this on Monday, that the the wider your your basis, customer basis, the more products you are going to sell. <laughs> and <in the> end, <laughs> right. I mean, these are private companies. I mean, and it's something like, private companies, capitalism. That's cool. You know, their goal is to make profit. So we are trying to put the pieces together to allow them to, hey, diversity and inclusion. Right these are things that are going to help you sell more of your products right if you want to yeah. make, make your quarterly numbers and make the fiscal year and stuff start taking steps now to diversify your team making your team more inclusive so that they can help you get ideas as to how to get into these these new markets and expand your market and sell more stuff and and make cycling just better overall Shay, hmm. okay, and what, what let me piggyback off that like what do you what do you got yeah.
2: It's, it creates a trickle, trickle down effect. It, it, it broadens the web. So it's like, <clears throat> if you only maybe are just selling your equipment to people and it's like, whatever, you know, it's like, if they use it, they use it, they don't. But if you actually are hiring people that work for your organization and it, you, you treat them well, of course, then, <laughs> yeah. then they're going to be like, oh, I love working here. And then their family or whoever they know, they're going to be like, yeah, I love working here. And Maybe they're not working there themselves, but then they'll say, you know what? not such as a, they treat their employees well. I'm gonna check out their product. And then you have that other web of, well, you know what? I'm gonna hire some photographer. Um, and instead of, I'm gonna be generic and say like, instead of Susie Q making a recommendation, you're asking uh, Shakisha, mm-hmm. and Shakisha's network will be a different set of people than you would ask. And that photographer or that filmmaker or that person will now be pulled into that web and know about your organization. And then, of course, if it's a good working relationship and they do work, you do good work. And then now they're like, okay, yeah, live in Giant. They're awesome. They do good work. They they pay you on time, whatever, whatever. And then now that their web is expanded and they'll also recommend people to you and it just starts expanding. And then if that person who's a filmmaker or photographer, they may also want to check out bikes. And you know what? What bike vendor they're going to choose first? The one that they worked with, the yeah, one okay. that treated them right. And so it's like it's just like the web just comes greater and bigger and you're just creating this uh larger path of goodwill and good treatment and so you just expand upon that um and that's how you have brand loyalty. Like people yeah. are like, "Why are people always buying Jordans?" You know, like <laughs> you know, it, and I mean, of course everyone loves Michael Jordan. That is like the main thing. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time, yes. but <laughs> you all know, look great, but it's also like what he has done and what he represents and then like who works on those campaigns and like people just become even more loyal. And then like, you know what? Because of Jordan's, there might be some kid kids like, you know, what? I want to make shoes. And that creates a trickle down effect of like, first want to be a designer, not just wear them in the NBA, but the person who mm-hmm. wants to design them and wants to create them. and it just creates a whole web of new possibilities just because you've had diversity and not just diversity in color, but diversity in age and gender and just representation of the full spectrum. Um, That I think is just so important. The more people you have of different uh, backgrounds, the the less issues you have, you have less issues of getting sued because you didn't know something (laughs) or because you, you didn't treat them right (laughs) right. Well, if maybe your your board wasn't completely homogenous then <laughs> you, they might have somebody might have been able to tell you something but if everyone looks the same experiences are the same then you're not going to have that those outside experiences to inform you They make the change with you know those mistakes that you made uh because somebody would have told you about it
1: <laughs> yeah um yeah, uh,
2: yeah.
0: well said yeah, it's like
1: the difference between like focusing on trying to make your slice of the pie bigger and just stepping back and actually making a bigger pie. Yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. Amazing. <laughs> mind oh, blow. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> just
3: like, oh my God, <laughs> the company would have taken no trade
0: <laughs> Yeah. yeah right right here. Here. It's, it's like, right here. You know,
1: what, what Aisha had an open letter to the industry, gosh, years ago now. And I remember one of the lines that just stuck in my mind is like, it's not rocket science. I mean, this is, you know, it's just, it's just logic. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just logic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you guys for explaining what the Black Fox is, uh, explaining the manifesto. Uh, and and in that, I think that we've all, all like, uh, Marty, you, you know, you joked around the companies are taking notes, but hopefully all of us are taking some yeah. sort of <laughs> notes here because these are really good points. Um, personally, I'm taking notes on what I can do. Uh, for the company as well, like, uh, you know, one of the things that we always talk about here at trainer road, uh, some of like we have, we don't have some sort of cheesy mission statement, uh, that's like on a wall, but we do have some core things that we absolutely practice. And one of them is constant improvement. And yeah. so. We, we feel like, uh, you know, direction is very important positions also important, but we will, we'll favor direction over position. And we want to constantly be moving in an improving direction. Um, always be doing everything and every little thing can be improved. It's just, if we're committed to doing that, then it'll get there. So this is a big way that we can improve things, uh, across the board. Um, yeah, can yeah. we jump into some questions that the folks have submitted? <clears throat> cool. Sure. Okay. So Erica says, uh, Hey coaches love the podcast especially the re- recent episode with Justin Williams. It was like a masterclass episode on crit racing tactics. Uh, yeah. She says, "Yeah, for sure. His his racing IQ is just through the charts. It's so impressive." Uh he says or she says, "I have a question about racing in bad weather, specifically racing crits on wet, slippery roads." I started racing last year with a local weeknight criterium series and it was a great way to start, albeit a harsh welcome to reality. After the first few races, I stopped getting dropped out of our D grade group and felt like I was getting momentum. But then the next few races I did were during summer thunderstorm showers. And I was terrified In the races I was watching. And even in my races, I saw riders crashing and had no clue what to do to not crash. I went right back to getting dropped for the next three races and sort of lost motivation to try again for the last two races of the season. So what can I do to have more confidence in riding in wet conditions? Um, there's like, uh, a lot of different things that we can cover. Um, maybe first it's important to cover the equipment side of things. And one thing we've said this before on the podcast, but I know formula one and MotoGP have, have rain tires, but bicycles don't have rain tires. Um, so don't think that you need to go out and buy new tires or have tires that are specifically designed for rain. You don't. Um, so that's a, a comforting thing. Like you don't have to have fluted tires. You don't have to get anything that's like special in that regard. So what even
1: is that? I t- I totally It's uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh,
0: channels, right. For the water to like, you okay. know, once the f- in between, cause you have the surface, you have water. And if you're watching on YouTube, this probably makes sense. Sorry. Podcast listeners this probably doesn't cause I'm using my hands, but, uh, you have the surface you're riding on, okay. then you have water in between you and your tire. Right. Um, even if that's a very small amount, but basically you know, and just to explain this for folks, if you have a broad and wide tire, then it can actually get to the point of a certain speed where it starts to plane And it basically lifts and it loses traction. It starts riding on top of the water rather than riding on the surface, that the road that you're riding on, and that causes terrifying things like losing traction, but on a bicycle, when we're talking about the surface area that we have for our weight and our relative speed, we don't have to worry about hydroplaning. Uh, we just have to worry about losing traction. Um, and that really, I mean, sure. If your tires are like super worn out and they're like covered in grease and stuff, yeah, you're probably going to lose traction on anything. I don't care if it's Velcro, but. Uh, in this case, <laughs> if, if you have some, don't worry, you don't need to change out your tires for rain, your equipment as is, is probably just fine for, for rainy conditions it really comes down to like, I think it more comes like you can probably do some stuff with tweaking, right? Uh, Bailey on equipment, but it really comes down to up here and, and what you're doing on the bike.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so some things to do, like if you see it's about to rain in your race maybe decrease that tire pressure a little bit um of course pre-riding the course um and then it's hard to do if it's not already raining but if you pay attention to how the road and i'm sorry i'm using my hands but how the road (laughs) how the road bends and so that's an indication of where the water will go or collect on a course and so of course, once it's raining, you can actually see where it's going. You can see how well the drainage is. Um, and, and you can either avoid certain areas or, uh, use what's happening with the weather to your advantage. Um, and in most cases when it starts raining, people will open up gaps and not ride as close. Um, and I think when I did my first, uh, road race in the rain, I was, uh, I actually, I think that I got like second place or something, but awesome. I got, I did pretty well because, and it was a road race, so we were like out there. But it initially, we, we, we started out in like a mixed field and it was like men and women, but. I just accepted that I was going to be drinking water off the back of their tire. <laughs> and um, what, what's going to help you is breathing through your nose, <laughs> but uh, um, wearing um, clear uh, glasses mm. because you're like prepared. You're like, all right, mm-hmm. I know it's raining, but you don't want it to get in your eyes. And if you're a person like me, I wear contacts and glasses. Um, I'll typically wear contacts in the race. So I'll make sure to bring, some clear glasses and sunglasses in the rain conditions in my bag so that way, if it's raining, I can put on the clear ones and I can see cause um, the worst thing that happened in the race is something gets in your eye and you're like, I can't see and then it's raining and it's already reduced visibility. (laughs) So those are some things to like think about uh, just in preparation for a rainy race as well as um, exploiting other people's hesitation. Mm, Uh, because of the gaps and things, you know, gaps going to open up as your guys are about to approach a corner, the race is to that corner. Um, you know, every corner there's a, and it's, if it's a crit, it's four corners, then, you know, you need to be in a good position at every corner, um, which can be tiring, but knowing (laughs) that it's raining, there's going to be gaps at some point and you're probably going to be a break. Um, that's actually one of the perfect times to execute a break is in the rain. Um, and yes, yes, attack, yes, you know, in a in <laughs> a very like strategic spot, it just like go for it, lay it down because everyone's hesitating. the The wheels are the the gaps are opening up because everyone has way more space in between. Um, And just pay attention where the water is collecting. Uh, so That's definitely something to, to think about because I definitely did a crit, and the water was collecting, and it was like almost like a almost like a lake in this <laughs> one section, and. If you okay. knew where it was deeper, um, everyone, so I noticed in one part, everyone was riding in the more shallow side just to avoid the slightly deeper side, but it was actually the wider part. And so in this one crit, I just says like, F it. I'm like going to ride the slightly deeper side, take yes. the wider turn, because I didn't have to actually decrease my speed because they're riding on the inside. Yeah. Then that meant they it was um the water was lower but they had to run inside that means they're inside and they would have to come out and go like that because i was already on the outside i was able to just keep my momentum not have to slow down not have to have brakes, ride through the slightly deeper water and make the turn way smoother than everyone else and then boom you got a bigger gap than you you didn't have to do, do no work for that for real yeah. it's just like mm-hmm. compensating and of course paying attention to the uh type of pavement so if it's like just straight asphalt you might have a little more grip if it's bricks you know it's gonna be a little more slippery, especially with types of bricks, because not all bricks are the same. So mm-hmm. just like paying attention to like those faces and knowing that you might have a little less traction if you're like coming through those turns or riding on those. Um I mean hopefully that was helpful, but like I think it's the more you do it helps and yeah adds to that's a Marty Spidey senses. Uh it'll help improve your your comfort level and race knowledge. Um that's mm-hmm. yeah. more about like I know. keep doing it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I know Pete loves that. I know Pete loves that. Take the wide line part.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's into that. He's so Pete good at using that. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: I've seen
0: that. I've seen that. i he's <laughs> He's good at that. Uh Amber, so you've, true. you, uh, you, uh you raced for your job. So you did not have the luxury of saying like, eh, it's raining a little too hard today. So you've raced a ton in the rain. Um yeah. And then, on the mindset thing is the interesting thing to me. I think Lance is quoted with like making some comment about how like, you know, everybody quit as as soon as it started raining, you know, and, and, and I, you know, that's obviously a terribly loose quote, but, um, (laughs) do you look for that? Is it like, or I guess how do you adjust your mindset to be successful in rain or inclement weather like that?
1: When we were preparing for the podcast, uh, we chatted a little bit about this. And I remember, Bailey, you put it so well. You were just like, that's when everyone gets discouraged. So that's when you go. And I was just like inside. I'm just cheering. going. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm.
1: exactly what I would do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think, um, this is sorry. This is the dichotomy of Amber, the nice Amber we all see on the podcast and the competitor Amber, she is fierce (laughs) and she's cutthroat and that's what you all don't see. But in Slack, she lays it down. So, um, but yeah, sorry, Amber, go ahead.
1: Um, I just, I, I, I totally echo everything that Bailey just said. Um, I think, you know, to the, to Erica's question, what happened was erica showed up to the race and she saw a lot of other people crashing and that that's let's be honest that's kind of traumatic right like that's just scary um but the thing that the takeaway from that is not that oh no i'm going to crash it's just that people tend to do things sometimes in the rain that will make them more likely to crash just kind of on accident so Mm. if you If it starts raining and people start getting nervous, it's when you get nervous that you start to unconsciously do some of the things that make you more likely to crash, which is like getting tense with your arms, making overcorrections, feeling twitchy. So now you're twitchy on the brakes, you're twitchy and you're steering. Um, So actually riding in the rain is very similar to just riding when there's no rain. You want to do a lot of the same things like be supple on the bike, have a calm mind. And everything that Bailey was saying is totally spot on. I'll just share a quick story because it's, it's a Chicago story. (laughs) (laughs) So racing, uh, well near Chicago, so racing Downers Grove, that's where the U S pro crit national championships used to be. And this course was really cool. It was like a pretty big climb. And then you had this long downhill was pretty fairly technical, lots of corners. And then there was this very famous final corner that you could take at extremely high speed and it came into an uphill sprint finish. So you really, that corner was where the race was won or lost. Um, and it was on bricks. <laughs> so oh. I remember right. Yeah. So, uh, I remember one year it was raining and I was doing exactly what Bailey said. I was inspecting the course and trying to figure out, you know, where I needed you maybe flag a few things here and there. And I was looking at that corner and trying to figure out, okay, you know, how do you take this? And one of the pro guys was there. And I just said, yeah, you know, it's supposed to rain for our race. So we're probably not going to be able to take that corner quite as fast. And he just looked at me and he goes, what are you talking about? You can rip that. corner." <laughs> <laughs> and it, it and, and the point was that in that corner, you know, there was no white paint. It was brick, you know, but the brick itself, when you actually looked at it, it had good traction. Mm. Uh, there wasn't anything about the corner that was particularly dangerous or or any more slippery than any of the asphalt anywhere else on the course. And his point was actually, I think his exact quote, let me rephrase that. He said, you can you can get away with so much more than you think you can on that corner. That's mm-hmm. what he said. And I was like, oh, and I think that's really true in the rain. We just kind of assume like you're riding on a skating rink, but you're not actually. And you know, Jonathan, you pointed out earlier, it's not physically possible to hydroplane with bicycle tires. So, um, if you can just allow some of that fear to go away and then like Bailey said, take advantage of the fact that everybody else is kind of (laughs) scared.
0: Yeah, that brings up a super good point. And it's a common thing that I see with people when they start mountain biking and they ride on something called bench cut features. So man. Sorry, podcast listeners using my hands again, but, uh, try to try to follow along. So you've got a hillside and the trail just traverses across the hillside, right? So when it's traversing across the hill- hillside, uh, the way the trail is made, isn't just people just don't just ride on it and deal with that sketchiness of riding on an off camber, the trail is actually made so that it's kind of like a, a box is notched into that, to that, to that hillside. So it's really unnerving for new riders a lot of the time and even experienced riders when it's a steep hill and you've got this huge drop on one side and it's like, a, and you just, when you look at it, you just envision yourself dropping down this crazy cliff and never stopping. And you're in this eternal <laughs> falling thing. Um, so, <clears throat> but fun. yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, don't worry. Cape epic will be fine. Amber. Um, but the, <laughs> the interesting <laughs> part <laughs> about it is remove the bench cut. You ride on single track all day and you don't even think about it. Or when you ride your road bike outside, you can ride on that white line even for so long, you know, on the side of the road when you're riding on the, in the shoulder or whatever it is, but our minds remove the objectivity of everything. And instead, what we do is we get so overwhelmed by circumstance and we let it completely throw out everything that we thought we knew about something, but don't, don't throw out your experience. You know what to do. Like, you know how to ride that turn and you know what to do in terms of body positioning and line choice and everything else. And like you said, Amber, that's such a good point. The rain didn't change any of that and it didn't make it a nice rink. It may be more slippery, something else, but it didn't change the basic principles. Those are still in play and you can, chances are you'll be okay. One of the things that you put down here, Amber, that I really like is what you can do with your body with, and this doesn't require sacrificing speed. This doesn't require sacrificing line choice or doing anything that would hurt you, but it's doubling down on the correct things with body positioning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what are the main things that you would say that you would want somebody to do if it's raining and they're going through turns?
1: Oh, we've talked about this before, but just put all of your weight on that outside leg and when you're going through a corner at speed, that's, that's like your, the weight on that outside pedal that you're pressing down on is feel like you can think of it as like you're actually pushing your bike into the ground to hold traction and it's exactly the same in the rain as it is when it's dry and if you just my joke earlier in a previous episode was like all your f and weight but seriously it's if you can exaggerate that it's just all your f and weight you can lean that bike over pretty far even when it is wet and if you have that driving force down on your outside pedal you will stick it you will oh, stick yeah. it, so. like you're
3: pretty- like you're pretending like your foot, the outside foot is actually standing on the ground. Like I yes, exactly. like, but the ground is like it parallel, like perpendicular with the bike. So it's like, I'm standing on the ground. It's like this, like you get. Yes, the confidence, exactly. right?
0: If you ever like exactly. yeah. ran and jumped and pushed off of something with your foot, it's that sort of force, right? The, like pushing off and lifting your body off of something. If you've ever skied, it's like the same thing. It's like everything on that outside leg. But, and it's even to the point where, um, the, 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 your pelvic contact with your saddle has changed, not meaning Mm -hmm. that like you lift yourself off necessarily, but there's not a lot of pressure there because all that pressure is on the foot. It's that hard. So, and you can totally practice this in the dry. And I think Mm -hmm. that one of the really helpful things that it does is it, it tends to turn our hips a bit. So, um, you don't turn your hips dramatically on a road bike. When you're in a turn on a mountain bike, you absolutely do like your hips. Um, like if you imagined that your hips had some sort of like long poles extending on either side of your hips, those long poles should be touching the exit of the corner, right? When you go into things on a mountain bike, like it's very important that your hips are positioned where you want to go on a Mm -hmm. road bike. It's, it's not as, it's not as drastic. However, it's really, and this is the funny thing. A lot of people think like you put a knee out I don't know, to look like a MotoGP GP rider or something when you go through a turn and the knee out thing should just be a con, uh, just a result of your hips being canted toward the, the exit of the turn, right? They're opening up to the exit of the turn. And that's something that you don't consciously shift your hips, but when you put all your weight on that outside foot, it happens automatically. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's like the trigger that then sends a cascade of positive body position changes all the way through the rest of your body. So it's, it's a really super good tip. Amber, like if somebody does that, I guarantee you, it will improve their cornering so much more. It just will make them way more confident on the bike. Um, uh, cool. So, and, uh, let's actually just for in the interest of time, let's move into Tom's question. How about that? Um, That's good. cool. Okay. So he says, after listening to your recent podcast, I was intrigued by Jonathan's approach to doing all of his training using the outside workouts feature, which I still am by the way. Um, Took a few days off from moving. Don't at me on Strava. Uh, sorry. Uh, so he says I'm currently training in this direction and also do most of my training on my mountain bike. He says my cross country bike has a power meter. My trail bike does not. My only real concern is the quality of these workouts as my local trails can make it difficult to complete the intervals at consistent power in my area. Typical mountain bike rides consist of a 30 to 60 minute climb to begin followed by a handful of three to eight minute descents with shorter climbs in between. The climbs, trails, and roads are mostly up, but have some undulation, which can make consistent intervals tough. And I feel you on that, and probably every other mountain biker out here. And also, probably you too, Bailey, like being in Pittsburgh, you've got a lot of constant rolling terrain, right? And yeah. even Barcelona, too, you know, t- tons of that. So, oh,
4: uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, uh, it, but goes on to say, I want to make sure I'm getting good benefit from my workouts while riding outdoors. It totally makes sense. I'd like to do as much work as possible on my mountain bike, because I can also improve my riding skill and I find it a lot more enjoyable than riding on the road. So which type of workouts do you find to be best suited toward off-road versus on road? I'm currently following a low volume build plan in an effort to maintain some level of fitness while allowing days for riding purely for fun. Uh, thanks from Tom, which by the way, that's just a really good approach, right? Like doing the low Mm -hmm. volume plan to give you the structure you need but then it gives you the flexibility and the cool part is chances are you can nail every part of that low volume plan you can be like a hundred percent completion a plus right whereas if you went for a higher volume and then you're trying to mix everything in it gets a little tougher so um it so it's less for me it's less about mountain bike versus road bike and just more about Mm. terrain Right. It's like just matching the terrain to what the interval structure is. And Megan has a fantastic post. One of our copywriters, she's, she's a mountain biker. She rides road and uh, you know, she, she is proficient. Uh, so she wrote this from a very, uh, a great uh, position of experience on this, but she wrote about this and th- of trying to find terrain that matches the intervals that you're going to do. Uh, my, the order that I always do things in, I look at what the workout structure is and I look at how long the work intervals are. And then I look at what sort of terrain I have then. And hopefully I can find one where, okay, if I ride up at this power, that will more or less equal that duration. And then I can just repeat that if I want. Uh, and then also I try to look for intervals. If the rest periods are truly down below and rest you don't necessarily have to ride at 32 watts during that rest interval the whole time, right? So like you can coast down the hill. It's okay. Um, it's obvious when rest is implied with a full drop down like that. Uh however, if it's an interval where you the rest isn't all dropping down and it's keeping you high for one reason or another in between intervals, then that's when I start to favor a really flat road where I can and with less interruptions, and then I can just go through and follow the structure for as long as I need course, it's really tough to be able to find all of that. But um, have, let's talk about outdoor workout stuff for all of us that yeah. we've done here. Um, Bailey, do you have anything to add on this one on anything you've done for outdoor workouts?
2: Uh, in Pittsburgh, we're kind of lucky. I have a outdoor, it's like it's the paved track with slightly bent corners, nothing like a velodrome. But uh, that's where I would, if I want to just be somewhere consistent, I'm just going to go there um there is a small rise um on the outermost part uh after like turn four but if you want to just keep it all flat you can uh turn a little sooner and it's like all level so if you don't want to rise at all you can keep it like really consistent Mm -hmm. um so i'm lucky to have that but if it was like a climb uh a lot of our stuff is punchy it's hard to find a climb that's at least a mile. We have like two that's like a mile long, but then they can kind of have a lot of traffic on them. So, um, yeah, I try to do most of my stuff at the Oval um, or the Bud Harris Racetrack. That's what the actual name is. <laughs> but, uh <laughs> and uh, so I try to just do that there uh, and then stick to the trainer now that I, I have a nice one to do all my other work and stuff. And then I ride outside on the weekend. Mm-hmm. unstructured fun but it's it's hard uh, with
0: <laughs> other people <laughs> yeah yeah for sure
1: how i, about I you? just oh go Pennsylvania ahead Pennsylvania no, right? is like it's very challenging to read, just <laughs> constant undulation mad respect right? yeah.
0: yeah yeah Marty how about you in Barcelona um
3: well I well we're lucky because we have here in Barcelona we have uh we have everything so we have climbs ranging from um, three to seven or eight kilometers. I'm speaking kilometers now. Sorry, America. Um, <laughs> it's been, it's
0: been you betrayed years. us, Marty. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, sorry.
3: I'm just, I'm sorry, but yeah, we have between uh, a lot of hills between that that distance. And I will do workouts. For example, um, like I'll do. For example, we talked about this Monday, the 20 minute power test. I'll do on a hill that is the perfect distance for that Um, just because the 20 minute test works well for me Um, if I need to get things in like Lion's Rock uh, I'll go out to the airport I can just ride out towards the airport and all there everything is flat there's like these service roads that go around like where the planes land it's kind of cool because you could be doing sprints and then the plane comes in like right over you (laughs) top Every gun moment yeah <laughs> exactly we'll photos like you little like photos you know i'll send you guys some. um so for for those workouts i'll i'll go out to the airport um i, I do a lot at the airport though just because it's, it's flat and there's like long straights and out here in europe there's lots of roundabouts mm-hmm. which uh which is cool so you can kind of see traffic come in and you don't really necessarily have to and there's not much traffic so you don't really need to I don't really need to interrupt my flow if I'm in the middle of an in, of an interval, um, but like if I have when I was doing when I was late in the the base part, I'm doing mid level right now, and I was late in the base. I had to do I forgot what the name was. It was like four blocks of like ten or twelve minutes at like eighty five to ninety five FTP, and I would I would do those going up uh, one of our mountains here. Mm. And it was like two minute break, so then I would just coast down. So I'm glad you said it. it's cool because it says 120 whatever <laughs> watts on the program. I'm like, man, I'm not doing anything right now. I can't pedal this mountain.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's
3: cool. So I'm clear. I checked that off my list. <laughs> You're good. And um yeah, so it's good. We're just really lucky to have uh um a lot of different type of terrain to get different types of uh, of the of the trainer road workouts in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think this is kinda cool because Pennsylvania is, is similar, probably a little bit similar to where I am here too, but just very sawtooth up and down and up and down. Um, there's not a lot of flat. Am I, am, am I getting that right? <laughs> Bailey, is it pretty fair to say that right. yep, Got that? Right. Yep. right. <laughs> yeah. And then Marty, you're in Spain now, so you have a little bit of everything, but you also used to train in Chicago, which is a totally different beast, right? Like Chicago is dead flat. So how does, how, how has your training changed? Like, can you contrast a little bit, like how you would do outside workouts in Chicago versus where you are now?
3: Yeah, well, in Chicago, a lot of the tr- well, because the crit season started in March or April, a lot of what I was doing in Chicago was on the trainer in my in my apartment. So because mm-hmm. a lot of the training just takes place indoors, and it's so cold outside that it's tough. So in Chicago, and 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 I, I had the trainer Rose last time I was actually working with a coach, but uh, like weekends, I would go out. And it's kind of weird. It's like I'm drawing a blank. But most of it I just remember being, I just remember all those days. I lived in a garden apartment underneath my landlord. And I had this little room. And it was like really badly lit. You know, like the lights. They're like <laughs> like really
4: Swinging. Like
3: yeah. And I'm just looking at the wall. and I'm on my, my trainer and doing that. So that's kind of where I was for most of my training in Chicago. Outside was mostly for fun.
0: Yeah. That can be really tough for people in like an urban environment to get out, uh, to do those, those workouts. And, and also it's worth saying if you load an outside like a trainer road outside workout, you, when you start riding, you don't have to load your workout. Like if you have a 10, mm-hmm. 15 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute ride where you need to do to get into that position, you can get there and then start your workout. <laughs> We're answering <laughs> Marty's questions. He's checking boxes. Um, cause that's like something as well. You don't have to do that. And something really cool that you can do is, um, in, in almost every case, the beginning of a set of intervals with, when you're using the guided workouts, you'll need to hit lap before you start that set. So you can extend as long as you need to get to where you need to be, to do it safely and productively to get that workout done. <clears throat> And then the same thing happens too. like, let's say you're riding in the middle of an interval and like a stoplight comes up, you can just hit stop on your Garmin and then you can just hit start once you get going again. And like, don't worry about it. Don't feel like, don't like count the seconds at the stoplight and be like, that was 37 seconds that I spent away from my target power. I need to add that on. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) Try to stick with it and just do the best you can. And one thing too, that I would say is so if you do get in the middle of an interval and for some reason you do need to restart it, I've mentioned this before, but you can just swipe back over to that normal workout screen from Garmin. You swipe up to see the workout and you can hit restart interval. It's like a really good help that you can do that I find helps a lot, but in terms of like stepping backward for mountain biking in particular, finding workouts that have less interval constraints, meaning less varied structure, something that's a bit more simple is really helpful in terms of trying to match to mountain biking terrain, just because it gets really hard to match things. Also, if you have rest periods, so like, I kind of have a rule of thumb with VO two workouts. Like if the rest period is, is the same as my work period or less, I need to really be diligent about keeping that as much as I can. So I try Mm -hmm. to not. You know, if it's three on three off, I try to make sure that that three minutes off is three minutes as close as I can to it. Because at that point, when it's getting any shorter than that, then we're really starting to work on minimizing the rest. And that's one of the goals of the workout. However, if it's like a really long rest in between intervals, and let's say you've got six minutes, seven minutes, something like that, and the interval intensity is lower, it's threshold or sweet spot or something like that, or lower. Then it's okay to extend that sort of a thing. But the best cheat sheet for this is just look at the workout goals and descriptions, which inside or outside, we should all be doing. You can look at those. And Chad puts a ton of effort into making sure that all of those are in place. And if you read that, like it's amazing. Number one, you'll feel like Chad isn't just barking at you with workout text. You'll feel like he's in your corner because he'll tell you but things. It's his voice. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> totally his voice. Chad's
3: it's, 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 it's voice when I when I read those things. Oh, for so sure. Sorry to interrupt you.
0: And he wrote them, so it's good. Um, but he'll give you like really like good guidelines. He'd be like, Hey, try to hold like, cause a lot of the time we'll think, man, I didn't hold 206 Watts mm-hmm. for that interval. So I failed it. But then if you read the workout description, Chad says, try to hold 192 to 214 Watts, somewhere in between there. And then we'll pick mm-hmm. a specific target with the interval, but and, or Chad will say something like, if you need to increase the rest period on these intervals, it's okay to do so. Or he'll say, yeah, the goal with this workout is to not increase the rest period. So try to nail your work, but don't sacrifice the rest. Right. So it's just a really important thing. If you look at that, you can get the context you need for whatever workout you're going to do. Um, yeah. and, and one, uh, just a couple other tips. I use 10 second power smoothing when I'm outside with, when I'm doing, Um, outside workouts just makes things a lot easier. I spend less Hmm. time being like a crazy little yappy dog, chasing a ball left and right, right? (laughs) Like constantly, like I need to go up, I need to go down. I need to go up I need to go down. And it really helps. It really helps at least for me, um, to, to see that sort of thing. And remember your power is still being stored every, you know, every second, it's not Mm. changing that. It's just what you're seeing in the moment and what we see definitely Changes the way that we go about things like that. So That's I like it good. and it's so good with mountain biking because especially on those days where you have generous rest intervals, cause then you can just go up and then you can have a blast descending down and then you can go back up and go down. It's a really good thing to do. So specifically in this case, since you have those long climbs, I would try to pair a longer climb with a, a longer descent. And if you need to, you can just restart those intervals at the end of that descent and, and just manage it that way. So,
1: yeah, I think a couple of things that came up in what Bailey and Marty were saying was especially for flatter stuff, like chances are there is a spot kind of near you, which is pretty flat. So if you're a road rider, I love the idea of the airport because airports are always flat and there usually Mm -hmm. is some kind of a frontage road that's going around them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to have a ton of traffic. So that's a great place to look. And then for dirt, I know around here, and this is probably the case, I think in, it's not just here, but rails to trails, mm. um, it's turning, you know, the, the railroads into trails and those are, it used to be a railroad. So it's, chances are it's pretty flat. So finding just like, even if it's just one section of, of rails to trails or that one loop around the airport, chances are there is a spot where you can find, you know, the right terrain or, or someplace like that where you can be pretty controlled, but I just, I want to remind everybody that it's okay if your intervals are not perfect because your technology is not that specific. And when you're on your trainer and you're doing workouts, you can be really, really precise and really focused. It's important to remember that there's different aspects of your training, right? Like there's training yourself to be able to to produce specific power. So training your VO2 max system, training your sweet spot system. And those are the tools that you're going to then use when you're out doing a group ride or when you're out doing a century or when you're racing. Um, but there's also the other things that you need to train, which are you know, balancing on your bike, your handling, picking good lines. And so if you're out doing loops on around the airport, if you're just sessioning one section of trail to get your intervals in, just remember that even if your power output isn't perfectly on target, you're also getting the benefit of training all of these other things at the same time. So you're training your balance, you're training your handling, you're training you know your your mental focus when you have more distraction. So you're you're getting a lot of benefit out of it anyway. So just remember, some structure is better than no structure. It doesn't have to be perfect, and it's all money in the bank. So you're good. Yeah. Those are
0: great tips. Awesome, Amber. Yeah. yeah. Let's get into one more question here from Gary. We're going to, we're going long. I know. But the, this question, <laughs> since we have Marty here, we have to cover this one. Um, yeah. and I don't know if we're gonna have time for live questions, but, um, but just the same, let's go into Gary's question. So he says, Hey, Trainer road. Wanted to let you know, I'm a huge fan of the software and have used it for a few years, five plus plus stars. It's fancy, uh, you can, nice. you, can yeah. you can leave those ratings by the way, on whatever podcast app you're using, it's super helpful for us. So, uh, go in there, rate the podcast five stars. And if it's not five stars, just let us know what we can do to improve it first. Cause then, you know, we're committed to constant improvement. We'll make it better. <clears throat> so, uh, okay. Seeing that you were recently talking about high cadence and form drills. I'd like to ask a question on that. My question has more to do with a power meter. I'm a huge fan of fixed gear riding a bike with no coasting. And yes, that's cranks are fixed to the gear, right? So any wheel turn means crank turn. and there's no coasting. And he says, I do this throughout the winter, but would also like to extend it year round. I wanted to know what your thoughts are on using a cork power meter on my fixed gear. Uh, so he mentions a couple things here. He says, I put on a 44 tooth chainring along with a 17 to 18 rear tooth cog. I'm interested in Watts, but also TSS and calories burned. I'd like to hear your thoughts and if you think there's a benefit to the cork on a fixed gear and if there are any technical issues I could encounter. Um, so we want to cover this one because Marty, you race fixed gear, uh, crits over in Europe uh, because it sounds like because of licensing stuff and everything else, like you can do that before you actually have like a federated license, right?
3: Yeah, because out here, yeah, at least in Spain, I mean, in Belgium and the Netherlands, it's much easier to race. Uh, in Spain, there's more bureaucracy with.
0: Oh, Marty nice needs then. to, Marty needs to, to pet his router have again,
3: number, which I didn't have. So I,
0: there we go. You're back. Huh? My what? <laughs> You're back. Oh, Sorry.
3: Very good, go. I'll, I'll Barbara. You switch <laughs> next. Um, so yes, yeah, so you have to have a license to to race. Like a federated license here to race road and track. We have the Olympic Velodrome here as well, so but it, it's still used. in perfect condition for the next Olympics. But we, uh, as far as the fixed gear racing, you don't need you don't need that. You just need like a letter from the doctor saying, "Hey, it's your own risk," and blah blah blah, and then you race.
0: That's cool. So, yeah.
3: I was excited when I saw this question, when I, when I was going through the notes. I was like, Oh yes, because I've <laughs> asked the same question myself. So, um, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to piggyback off what you say first.
0: Okay. So like technically speaking, you can, you can put a power meter on there depending on the bike, right? The the main things that you're going to have to look at, cause a lot of track bikes have weird bottom bracket standards. So uh, a lot of the time they'll have track cranks and track cranks. A lot of the time have like the, the locking interface of the crank arms is is different. And as a result, the bottom bracket is different. And then the frame even is built around that as well. So if you are limited by that, you can look online, you can see if you can find adapters to work with a specific crank. In many cases, you'll find more luck with older power meters, because for example, the new SRAM dub standard is a really fat spindle for your cranks. Whereas old, uh, on the older cranks, the SRAM GXP, just for example, was a narrower spindle, um, Shimano has their standard one that they have and a handful of others. But so you'll have to look to see what cranks do I have? What frame do I have? And then can I get a bottom bracket that will allow the two to work together? <clears throat> so once you cross that barrier, um, uh, which is a big barrier, but if you can cross that barrier, then you'll be set. So many cases too, people will have just a road bike and they'll have a fixed gear hub on the back, right? And they'll set the bike up as a, as a fixed gear, as long as that frame has the ability to be able to adjust the position of the wheel and and accommodate fixed gear stuff. And in that case, you might have an easy time with it because the bottom bracket standard is modern and with whatever frame you have. But here's the interesting thing. Power meters measure power by how hard you press on the pedals and how quickly you spin them. It's just force and velocity, right? So those two things. And if you're pressing backwards on those cranks, suddenly our mind starts to break because we're like, wait, does that equal negative force? Is that (laughs) contribute to positive force? How do power meters read this? And in most cases, it doesn't throw things off terribly. It seems like I have zero experience with this, but I've looked into it and asked other riders who have done it. Um, many times I would say that it's probably best to assume that anytime you are braking on a fixed gear bike with your legs which uh marty you're one of these crazy people it blows my mind racing crits on fixed gear bikes and you don't even have brakes you guys just like you know we got two
3: brakes we got two two legs
0: (laughs) you just push backwards on the pedals you push backwards and fight the motion it's insane to me i can't uh red hook crit stuff like oh Uh, man just terrifying. Yeah. You're, you're, you're impressive. Uh, so, but when you do that and you're pressing backward on the pedals to slow down and you're fighting Uh that, that motion of them, Uh it's best to assume that you're not going to be getting reliable power data from that because they're not really designed to be measuring power in that way. Uh, in some cases, some people say like pedal power meters, uh, it would make sense that that would be better than something like a hub or a crank based power meter. However, yeah. uh, looking on the internet and everything else, it doesn't seem to, to, to come out that way. So
3: really, what have you, what have you found about that? Cause I was going to actually say something, but like now that you've said that,
0: do yeah. tell. Yeah. So in, in <laughs> interestingly, like a uh, uh, Garmin vectors, at least I've read on a few different instances with people with Garmin vectors that have installed those, uh, the, the power numbers are wacky when you are pressing backward on those pedals. Um, so mm-hmm. It's not going to read negative Watts. That would be really neat and mind blowing. (laughs) If I could somehow output negative Watts, it'll still read force as force. um, but it's not going to be reading it in the same way. Um, in many cases, if you think about it, if you're speeding up your cadence, if you're increasing that, like Amber, you mentioned with sprinting, like the goal of sprinting, one of the main things is to make sure that you can increase from whatever your cadence is to whatever it needs to be quickly, that's a sign to a power meter that you're putting out more power. Uh, Whereas if you're slowing down your cadence, which is what you're trying to do, if you're pushing backwards against the pedals, that's usually an indication that you're dropping your power. Um, But in this case, you're actually putting more force on the pedals. Breaks the brain. So, um, But it's... Mm -hmm you can absolutely get all the benefit that you would get with fixed gear stuff with a power meter, whenever you're trying to go forward on that bike. Absolutely. So
1: basically just don't break and you're fine. <laughs> yes. That's 100%. That's, it
3: all goes back down to that rule. Number one. Yes. <laughs> don't <break. Keep>
0: <laughs> You'll also win a lot of races and be incredibly dangerous at the same time. But you know, uh, uh, but yeah, so it is possible to do it, um, And you can get definitely more, but I kind of view it as mountain biking. Like when I mountain bike, I know that my TSS score is not comprehensive, right? Uh, when I ride like cyclocross, it's not comprehensive. Like I've, you know, you're running and you're jumping and you're dealing with this like varied terrain and there's so much more that you're doing with your body, it's not like you're just locked into a position and it's on a TT bike and just going. So, uh, you kind of have to have the grain of salt handy to be able to, to understand and get some more context with what you're doing with your TSS data. Since that is the goal for Gary here is to get a more complete picture of his training in that regard. Um, Marty, have you noticed any benefits to, I mean, other than, than somehow nerves of steel that you've developed, but, <laughs> uh, any benefits to fixed gear racing that has helped your um, cycling outside of it?
3: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, as we spoke before, uh, I think that a uh, fixed gear Riding a fixed gear bike will enhance your bike ride your road bike uh riding control cadence, but it does not go the other way around, as we as we talked about before. Yeah. Mountain biking, cyclocross, fixed gear racing all help road racing. Road racing helps none of those.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's in a weird island by itself. <laughs> yeah. Like road
3: racing help, it helps us learn how to be lazy, draft, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Don't be lazy, right. Yeah, totally. Which yeah. is still
3: viable, but um, I think uh, cadence is a big thing uh, with fixed gear racing. It's because, like you said, uh, what's the formula? Um, power is equal to work times speed. Is that what it is? Basically. Or something like that? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, learning how to control your cadence and uh, is is extremely, extremely useful, I think, in all disciplines of cycling. And uh, uh, riding, racing on a velodrome or in fixed gear, you know, fixed gear bicycle helps you with that. Um, because... Like, in, like, personally, instead of like jamming back on the pedals when I need to break, I try to riding a fixed gear bike, it helps you at least when you're in a race situation in a Peloton. You are, I think, hyper more attentive of what's happening in your surrounding from your five o'clock and seven o'clock and everything in front of you. Um, just because you're on a fixed gear. so if, if you notice any little twerky, squirrely movement up to your like one <laughs> o'clock, you can you, you, you feel more ready to, to res- respond to that and responding to that uh, part of that is being able to control your uh, control the cadence. So instead of like jamming like oh my god, yeah, you know it's like, it's more like applying the force on the pedal but so that you can control your speed and, and distance with the wheel in front of you. I think mm. that it's really helpful for, at least for me, I can speak with, I can speak to.
0: Has it made you change how you approach line choice or anything in corners or anything like that? It's just interesting to me thinking of not braking and then reaccelerating, having so much latitude with that, I guess.
3: Well, I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. And I'm going to kind of uh, pose this answer as a question as well. But, you know, with a fixed gear bicycle, the bottom bracket is higher, and I ride short of cranks as well. So I feel I can take the bike in into corners. Um, I feel more comfortable uh, cornering because maybe because of that fact, i have a little bit more confidence. Cause I'm like, I'm riding one sixty-seven fives mm-hmm. instead of one seventies. I mean, it's a little bit, but the bottom bracket's also higher. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Uh, hmm. I feel that it helps with cornering. I mean, you have to pedal through all your corners, at least soft pedal, which I think, and this might be debatable with the, uh, with what we talked about with Pete, and uh, <laughs> you guys have talked about the math has been done. You know, if you pedal less in a crit, then that could, that's that could be good, I think. But at least for soft pedaling through corners, I think it's good because I feel that as I'm soft pedaling through a corner, I feel that since my legs are already moving, it's easier to like to mm-hmm. on the apex and getting out to keep the wheel keep on the wheel ahead of me, mm-hmm. um, and just maintain that speed. That's an interesting question.
0: That's an interesting yeah. point. I haven't thought about that before, and I don't I, I'll, I'll take Nate's role here. I have zero science to back this up, but um, <laughs> I assume that there's like quite a lot of neuromuscular load. I, I would assume that it's greater going from like zero to like suddenly jamming on the pedals versus going from you know halfway there and up. but I could mm-hmm. be totally wrong on that. You know, but I, I do feel like that's kind of like a match thing, almost like you only have so much and it's pretty easy to exhaust it. And in a criterium, if you're exhausted at any point, that just means that you've basically removed your, your shield and armor, so to speak, and you're vulnerable at any point, uh, to, to miss that key, key moment.
1: Yeah. Uh, Bailey, have you done much on the track? I know you mentioned the oval, but you're not too far from, well, I guess you're quite drive, but near Trexler town, right? Is that there's a, a track there as well. Yeah, Town uh, is further, but Cleveland actually is closer. Oh, wow. um,
2: yes, yeah, so Cleveland's like two and a half. I think it's more like between I mean two, two and a half. Depends on the mm-hmm. speed limit. But um, yeah, so that's closer. I haven't actually tried it on the velodrome before. I always wanted to. And I actually bought a bike in anticipation for a velodrome being built in Pittsburgh. Cause I thought it was coming and I actually, I ride with the guy who owns the building, but it just never came to fruition. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I did a couple, like we had a couple of events that weren't ACA. They were held by Oscar Swan and uh, he would hold like fixed gear and a couple other like uh, Friday night events uh, in the summertime. And I, that's when I had the opportunity to actually ride the track bike fix. and. When I got the opportunity to do that, they everyone was like, "Oh, you're gearing too low. Like you, I, I needed more power. Like, so my uh, rear cog was too small. Because uh, they were like, yeah, you were spinning out.' But like at the time, I didn't. This is a bike I had just gotten. Never really had chance to, to ride it fixed. So I didn't even know if I was even like. I didn't really know how it would do going up to speed, and the fact that I was on a this track and I didn't have to like, worry about a car or anything. I was able to just like pedal and just go. They were like, oh yeah, you, you were able to get up pretty good and actually you need a bigger gear in the back cause you weren't really on top of it enough. It was just too fast. And so I think uh, it was kind of terrifying a little bit because I was like, I can't just brake. And <laughs> I just wasn't used to having the, the back pedal thing. Even though it's like the first bike that I learned to ride, it was fixed and to slow down you press back and you used to always bust skids you know on purpose but like <laughs> yeah uh,
4: <laughs> good old
2: days <laughs> <laughs> you right but uh yeah this I was like uh I think it was just more uncertain and then the positioning I was like way more aggressive and so
4: mm.
2: yeah I just don't have enough experience I, I totally would love to try it it's just always like a, a trek just to even try mm. anything uh because the velodrome is not really close and mm. it's like a whole to do but I was definitely going to do it because one, um, one of the ladies from the she rode, that, red, that runs the Black Girls do Bike in Cleveland, she also rides on the velodrome. And she was like, oh, you got to come out. We're going to have a, like a whole ladies' day, whatever, whatever. Oh, cool. And I said, like, yeah, I'll come. And so then Corona happened. So like, oh, then that, <laughs> <then clears throat> uh, but uh, so like one day I'll like ride a velodrome and see what that's about. Because I actually thought when I started riding that I was going to, that I was made for the velodrome. Because the only reason I thought this is because, like, you know, I was heavier and I was like, you know what? These legs, they got big legs. This yes! is for me. This is where I need yeah. to be. And so that, <laughs> that was like my thought process. And then when I found out Pittsburgh didn't have a velodrome, I was like, oh. And then, like, we got a lot of strong women in Pittsburgh and they just climb like the wind. And I was like, okay, so gotta work on these legs and getting them a little smaller <laughs> so, I can, so i can keep up uh but yeah i mean you know I, I handled myself okay i mean i did the dirty dozen on these legs so oh will be they to hang in there but uh i mean i didn't like podium or nothing but i did it
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's a bucket. That's legit
1: bra- bragging rights right there
0: <laughs> that's a bucket list race for me <clears throat> i want to do yeah. that one that one seems awesome man <laughs> Um, yeah well cool thank you so much for coming on um this has been awesome bailey and marty uh and also thank if you, you want to once again so marty Martinho on instagram you can check him out there that's uh, that's m-a-r-t-y-m-a-r-t-i-n-h-o the the portuguese spelling right. that he has there and then Do dimples <laughs> on on instagram so you can follow uh bailey there but then also the black foxes and we've mentioned a ton of other ones. So producer Tucker, I'm sorry, you're going to have like 10,000 links that you're going to have to put into this episode. I'm sure <laughs> he's probably already doing it. Thank you so much for joining us on YouTube to everybody. <laughs>
4: we'll
0: yeah. Sorry. We didn't get to the live questions that you submitted. I will take note of those and then we'll be able to hopefully toss some of them into next week's episode. Uh, we should be having coach Chad and also Nate back for next week's episode. So you can join us for that one. That will be at Thursday at 8am Pacific. If you're listening to this podcast, appreciated it. Check out what the black foxes are doing. Hopefully we can all be a better wheel, find ways to make this sport even more inclusive and make a difference in the world within our own weird little Lycra clad <laughs> space that we all live within. And then hopefully, uh, you can share this podcast, uh, with other people cause it will make them faster, but also hopefully it can change some perspectives for folks too. So with all of that said thank you everybody for joining us. And thanks uh, once again, Bailey and Marty for joining us on this one.
1: Yeah. Thanks thank you guys. You. And thanks for all you're doing with the black Foxes.
0: It's just awesome.
3: Thank you guys. Yeah. No, it's, it's been great. It's been an amazing experience.
0: Awesome. All right, we'll keep training and we will talk to you all next week.
3: <clears throat> all right. Oh,
4: yeah. Bye everybody.